Hello, everybody, and welcome to All In. My name is the Eric Nodon. And I'm Sarasaland Seth. Dude, we thought we were going to be able to take it easy this week, but with Kazuya dropping in Super Smash Brothers and Bidoof Day, <laughs> there's actually quite a few things to cover in the news this week. This week, we will be taking our listeners to a dimension beyond that which is known to man. And they will be traveling through this dimension, the boundary of which is only their own imagination. Uh, sure, I suppose. Let's go with that. Uh, we've also got a really interesting Blue Shell topic this week. With the competition constantly expanding their first-party studio lineup, should Nintendo be looking to bring more studios under its own umbrella? So many questions, and they are as vast as space, and as timeless as infinity. But what else is out there beyond the stars? What lies between the pit of man's fears and the summit of his knowledge? Are we truly alone? I think Eric's referring to this week's top five, where we'll be celebrating World UFO Day by counting down our favorite UFOs in Nintendo history. At least I hope that's what he's referring to. You unlock this door with the key of imagination. Beyond it is a swirling nexus of meat and mouths, of shadow and substance, of things and ideas. Well, Nexus is the setting for our indie showcase this week, Death Trash. We're actually interviewing one of the co-developers, Christian Hoyser, and yeah, there's certainly a lot of meat in that game. We know that a dream can be real, but whoever thought that reality could be a dream? We exist, of course, but how? In what way? Okay, I'm just gonna get the intro started. It's time to go all in. Uh, if I've broken Eric out of his Twilight Zone Rod Serling trance there, uh, I, I think maybe we're good to begin the show. <laughs> you, you good over there, man? You've reached the all-in zone. A dimension <laughs> beyond... Uh, sorry, I just I just caught a little Rod Serling in my throat. I, I apologize for that. It, it's it's a good problem to have. I, I love Twilight Zone and Rod Serling so much, so I, I, I cannot fault you for it, but... Let's let's truly get into the all-in zone, man, because we want to welcome new and returning listeners to All-In a Nintendo Podcast, the weekly Nintendo variety show where each and every Saturday, no shell is left unturned and no point is left unearned. We are thrilled to be with you this week. So much to get into, a lot of really interesting things going on in the all-in zone. But before we get into all of it, what's been going on with you this week, man? Well, I've uh, actually on theme... For this episode, I have actually been doing a little dimension hopping myself. Uh, I've been oh. moving around quite a bit, both in the video game world and in real life. I'm actually uh, coming to you guys from Florida this week. I am visiting my family down here nice. right now. Yes. Come to the Sunshine State. You know, honestly, it feels like the sun is closer to the earth when you're in Florida. <laughs> Right. I guess, I guess retroactively, I guess Florida feels like it's closer to the sun, but you know, especially coming from Tennessee, 
making that 12 hour drive down here to the sunshine Oof. state, man, I, I love Florida though. It rains like the, the three minute rainstorms down here in Florida are just like, you can almost set your clock by them. It's hilarious, but <laughs> yeah, just having some fun with the fam, getting to see a lot of people that I haven't seen in years. So good times. But before I did that, the very first thing that I did after we finished up with last week's episode was I finally got to put eyes on the new Reaper game. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You and I both checked out the demo for Neo, The World Ends With You. And dude, dude. Mm -hmm. So sold. Yeah. So we played the Monster Hunter Stories 2 demo right before we recorded last week and you know it's fine seems like it's going to be a decent game smash brothers frustration aside but we'll get to that in a few minutes but oh, you and i played the neo the world ends with you demo and man yeah that's yes game is going to be amazing that game is going to be so so good it's it's been a long time since i played the original back on the nintendo ds but man the second i booted that game up like i was i was just right back in it Yes. The pins, the reapers, just everything. Like it just all came rushing back to me. The second I stepped foot into Tushibuya Square, it was it was it almost felt like coming home. Yeah. I mean, really, like you you fall right back into that world so easily just from the art and the music, like everything that was great about the world ends with you is retained here like just immediately and they rope you right back into like the, the premise of it, the new characters I really like so far. The combat system is so fast and fluid. I love it. Yeah. As opposed to the dual screen combat system, the really unique dual screen combat system they had in the original, the world ends with you. Obviously that's not really an option with the Nintendo switch, but what they're doing is you have multiple attacks, obviously, but your attacks are performed by your different party members. At least in the demo, each of your party members has a single pin, a single attack that they can perform, but you basically control the entire party. If you're performing one character's attack, which could be attached to the Y button, the X button, the ZL button, the B button, the, the R button, whatever, as you're performing that character's attack, you have full, complete control over that character. So if you're doing uh, the Y attack, whichever character has your Y attack, you are controlling that character. But the second you hit another attack button, you immediately switch over to control of that character. And it just becomes this really fluid combo thing because you can't just mash out any one attack. You have a charge on each of the attacks. And if you mm -hmm. use too much of any one attack, it needs time to recharge. However, if you can space it out and if you can, if you can chain the attacks together long enough, then you can actually find yourself in a position where you can just keep attacking. So it's not just something where you're going to want to mash the entire time. There is definitely going to be a technique to it. And it looks like there's going to be a ton of variety in this combat system. I really dig what they're doing with the new combat system. Yeah, I, I just loved it. And it really, I can see a lot of people, especially diehard uh, fans of the first game. I could see people like already, I can just feel the people online saying like, oh, it's not as, 
you know, because you don't have to like draw symbols or whatever, it's not going to be as like complex as the first game's combat. But I'm like, no, it's just different. It takes the same vibe, the same teamwork, strategic vibe. You Like you said, you can't just mash buttons. You're not going to get away with that for long. Um, and yeah, I just, everything's still there though. Like everything that you loved about the first game is still present here. I, I love the perspective shift. The fact that this is like a kind of behind the shoulder, almost third person experience where like, I mean, there are times where you could look at it and mistake it for kingdom hearts, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, it looks great. Runs well on switch. I was just so impressed with the demo. And a lot of people may, especially if you're new to the series, you may be a little turned off by the comic book aesthetic. You may be turned off by some of the aesthetics, considering that this is a console game now. Right. Considering a lot of the stylized, considering a lot of the style choices for the world ends with you were made because of the hardware limitations of the Nintendo DS. So if you're new to the series, you may have wanted something a little bit more in line with, you know, contemporary AAA games. But if you are a fan of the first Neo, the world ends with you, like it, it has that exact same feeling. They transplanted the style perfectly from the first game into this one. And as a huge fan, considering that uh, considering that the first world ends with you is maybe one of the best handheld games of all time. Uh, as a huge fan of the first, the world ends with you. I was very happy jumping back into Shibuya with, uh, again, as I mentioned already, I just it felt like going home. I I was just able to jump right back into it. A ton of characters start showing up, and of course, you've got the Reaper game. And if you're if you know the world ends with you, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You've got the pins, and you already have the the hints of a lot of the returning elements from the first game, even though we didn't really get mm-hmm. to experience a lot of those in the demo itself. But the noise, uh, i.e., the enemies, the creatures. And the game look fantastic. The aesthetic has been perfectly translated into a 3D style. It just made the game just makes me so, so happy from the moment I turned that demo on to the moment I begrudgingly turned it off. I was just smiling from ear to ear. I, I mean, yeah, I love Monster Hunter and I'm sure Monster Hunter Stories 2 is going to be really good, but it's absolutely taking a backseat the second I get my hands on Neo Twewi. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, that's really what it boils down to, right? When when you're staring down the barrel of two probable 100-hour RPGs, it's like, at a certain point, you just have to take your pick. And I know the Monster Hunter Stories 2 is going to appeal to a lot of people. I, I just like you said, that, that demo was fine. Like, it was good. I think it's going to be a really good time. But if I got to choose one or the other... Yeah, The World Ends With You was the one that really grabbed me. But I could also see, I mean, they both have free demos. So you guys, we encourage you, of course, to download them yourself and see what you think. Yeah, see which one, uh, let us know which one you think is going to be the better game, which one you prefer. Because like I said, a lot of newcomers to The World Ends With You series, I could see the demo turning a lot of people off because Mm -hmm. because of the adherence to stylized choices from a previous handheld generation. So... Let us know. If you're a newcomer to The World Ends With You, I would actually love to hear what your perspective on the demo is. Uh, But another game that I got to play a little bit of this week, we recently got the newest game from that game company. Makers of such amazing titles as 
the game of the year winning journey. And of course, PS3 classics like Flower and Flow. Their newest title, Sky Children of the Light, has now come to the Nintendo Switch. Originally a mobile game. Right. And that does come through with a, uh, some of the mechanics. But the man, the time I spent with this game, yes, it is definitely a game from that game company. It is stunning to look at. It is absolutely gorgeous to look at. The environments that I went through, I, I mean, just the lighting effects, just there, there's so much cloud stuff. Clouds are a huge part of Sky Children of the Light and the way they're used both as kind of traversal areas and also the way they help impact the lighting with cloud shadows in addition to the just this lush greenery of the environment and, and all these little neon flowers dotting the landscape. It's just like I was just marveling at the look of the game for a while. And it looks like it's going to be a full on adventure game. Now, again, because it was previously a mobile title, there are microtransactions in the game. The game does have its own ingrained currency that you can spend real world money on. And there's even an upcoming season pass for the game and a crossover with uh, Le Petit Prince. So I don't know what all that's going to entail. I've just been playing a little bit of the adventure mode of the game so far, and I haven't reached a point to where the game is going to force me to buy any additional content. The game itself, because of the microtransactions and that model, the full game itself is a free download. So I can't vouch for how much of the experience you'll be able to get to with the free version of the game. But for a free download, you really should check out the first 30 minutes or so of this game. I don't want to try to trap anybody into a game where they're going to wind up spending $100 and $150. But real real talk, the game looks fantastic. I really hope it doesn't wind up getting too predatory with the microtransactions because I really, really want to like this game. I, I got to play it. I have it on my Switch. I downloaded it and I, I want to give it a shot. And yeah, that's going to be the key, right? It, it's all going to depend on the tact that they take with the microtransactions. That's always, as long as you are kind of more hands-off with it and you let the player kind of breathe and have a great, enjoyable experience without spending money like that, then I think you're good. But but yeah, that's always the trick, right? Indeed, Yes. And uh, I hope you get a chance to check out that demo as well yourself, sir. Yeah, for me, it's been a lot of um, Mario Golf, to be honest. Uh, Mario Golf Super Rush has been a huge thing for me this week. It's been the man, whenever I get gaming time, it has been Mario Golf. Um, full stop, just kind of working my way through the story mode. I'm not going to get too in-depth on it um, because we are going to be doing a full review of the game next week on the show. Yes, indeed. Uh, so more more thoughts to come but i like it it's it's good i you know there's a lot of like negativity about the game rolling around online but i I think mechanically it's it's just a super solid game um and again we'll have way more to say about that next week on the show i don't want to give away i don't want to show my hand too early um but i will say as a quick little shout out to nso there is currently a NSO free trial game going on right now until the 5th. You'll still have a couple more days to take advantage of this and try out Fuser, which is a harmonics game. 
the you know harmonics famous for things like guitar hero and rock band and stuff like this you know oh yes probably most prolific rhythm game developer of all time <laughs> um so fuser is sort of a dj simulator it's not quite a rhythm game necessarily it's really interesting the way it works and it's the kind of thing that i think is perfect for the NSO free trial, because it was the kind of thing where I jumped in and I played it for about an hour and I'm glad I did, but I think I kind of got my fill of it after that hour. Do you know what I mean? Like that's fair. I was glad that I played it and it was an enjoyable hour, but that was kind of all I needed to see. So that that's not necessarily like a knock against the game because from a technical perspective, the game is kind of ingenious. The whole gimmick of the game is you're a DJ and you can each song in the game of which there are dozens of licensed tracks. Um, each song is broken up into four distinct parts of it musically. So from a vocal track to a bass line to a main instrument to whatever. And you basically are able to take any of these four components and lay them down as a track on your kind of DJ turntable. So I can have, for example, the baseline or something of bad guy by Billie Eilish like <laughs> boom, 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 boom with like the vocals of tongue tied from group love. And like these things all mixed together, they have managed to tie things in and, and change tempos and make it sound good. No matter what you put on there, it's really interesting and really impressive what they've managed to do with that. The problem is, is the game that they've built around it is not super interesting. It, it ends up feeling like a fun toy, you know, like, like it's really fun to mix these tracks and to take these little pieces of these tracks musically and mix them around and see how they sound together. Like, it's like, Oh cool. I can have like the backing kind of instruments of, you know, Warren G regulate mixed with Aerosmith on the vocals or whatever. Like it's, it's really cool and interesting but after you mess around with it for a little while, you kind of feel like you're done with it. There, there's a bit of a campaign, but it's not, there's no real story to it. The progression is kind of, eh, you're just unlocking aesthetic stuff. Um, so, you know, it, it's, it's a cool idea that I don't think was packaged in a super compelling video game, unfortunately. But I still wholeheartedly, especially if you're a music fan and if you like to tinker around with stuff like that, I wholeheartedly recommend um, NSO users to at least download the free trial and play with it because I think it's very impressive. I'm not a super huge music guy, but if you are, it sounds like maybe something you'd be into. Seth is, of course, our resident music guy. So if he's telling people to at least check it out, I believe the man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely give it a give it a whirl. You know, it's again, I, I think that's the, the highest compliment I can pay it is is just being so impressed with it from a technical perspective and, and it's a, it's a really fun toy. So, but um, yeah, that's, that's the bulk of what I've been playing. I've been kind of dabbling with uh GameCube stuff a little bit lately. I mm -hmm. recently got a copy of a uh, bots in Kaidos in the yeah, mail. I saw that on Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a game that I want to cover on keep Nintendo weird really soon. So I was like, you know what? What's keep Nintendo weird, Seth? Yeah. You know, absolutely. Keep Nintendo weird is uh, my, my biweekly every other Wednesday. 
I, uh, I post that on our YouTube channel and on podcast feeds. It's a weird Nintendo podcast about loving weird Nintendo games. Hmm, that sounds like something our listeners should check out. It definitely does. It definitely does. You can subscribe to it over on our YouTube channel and, you know, <laughs> follow it at KNW Podcast. Plug, plug, plug. Plug, um, plug, plug. Branding, branding, branding. Exactly. I <laughs> uh, just recently put out a uh, episode on Super Monkey Ball, which was really fun. Yes. Um, Again, happy 20th anniversary to Super Monkey Ball. Yeah, absolutely. So anyway, I, I want to cover Bots and Kaidos on that show with our friend Rebecca Valentine pretty soon. And um, I'm not going to put a date on it or anything like that, but pretty soon her and I are going to make that episode of Keep Nintendo Weird together. And I was like, you know what? Let me get a little bit of time with the game. I, I found it's a pretty expensive game, but I yeah, found a way to GameCube games in general are really expensive, but I, but yeah, I found a way. With uh, with Mercari coupons to to get it for about forty bucks, so I was pretty happy with that. Um, so yeah, I've been kind of tinkering around with that, playing that, enjoying it. It's a really fun, very weird game. And uh, but yeah, that, that's about it for me though. We we have certainly got a fair share of news stories to get into this week, and I know you're chomping at the bit to talk Kazia. So oh. I, what, you know, you think we should go ahead and do that? Sounds good. Let's. <clears throat> Darn it, Rod. <laughs> Listen. Well, we absolutely have to get started in this week's news roundup with what was obviously going to be the biggest news story of the week. There at the beginning of the week, this past Monday, we got a Mr. Sakurai Presents Kazuya Mishima in Super Smash Brothers. Now, Kazuya was, of course, confirmed to be coming to the iconic crossover brawler at E3 2021 with just one character remaining arguably maybe even a bigger story than that was the fact that nintendo has basically deconfirmed the release of more super smash brothers fighters after this fight has passed so kazuya is going to be the second to last fighter ever released for super smash brothers ultimate and as as frustrated as a lot of people were that they went with Kazuya because admittedly there are still a lot of very worthy inclusions but that's the problem is there are still so many worthy inclusions but ultimately Kazuya deserves his chance to shine I really feel like Kazuya deserves his chance to shine and this past Monday boy howdy did he my word so Kazuya coming from the famous 3D fighting game Tekken franchise a game where characters very famously have access to dozens of different attacks it's a four button fighter uh where each button controls a limb theoretically so so one button is left punch one button is right punch one button is left kick and another button is right kick and then you have various different directional inputs that you can do with those and a lot of characters have a ton of different attacks for each limb and tons of different combos. Again, each character has dozens and dozens of different attacks and combinations in the Tekken franchise. And it really felt like they were trying to incorporate as many of those as possible, because ultimately one of the things that's going to stand out with Kazuya, one of the things that's going to make him so unique. And that's one of the amazing things they've done with these DLC characters is these DLC characters really feel like the most unique characters in the game. They, they have do. gone above and beyond with these DLC characters for Fighters Pass 1 and 2 and Super Smash Brothers Ultimate. But Kazuya has by far the most attack options in the game. He is by far the most attacks in Super Smash Brothers Ultimate because most characters, 
because Super Smash Brothers is a two-button fighter for all intents and purposes. You have your A button, which is used for normal attacks, smash attacks, and uh, air attacks, and then you have your special button, which is used for your neutral special, your side special, your up special, and your down special. So each character has several standing normals and smash attacks, a few crouching attacks, a few air attacks, and a few specials. Kazuya has about 58 different grounded normal attacks. It's <laughs> insane. They have completely expanded the joystick properties specifically for Kazuya. So Kazuya has new attacks for each of the eight different main directional inputs on the joystick. And even then, he's got extra attack options. You've got forward, forward A, which gives you a special attack. You've got up forward A, which gives you a four button hit combo. You have multiple crouching attacks, whether or not you're just crouching or crouching toward or crouching away. You have an attack that you can perform while you're rising from a crouch. Even Kazuya's left taunt has been turned into a straight up combo attack. They just fit in as many possible attacks as they could with this character with just two buttons. And it's kind of insane. And I'm 100,000% here for it. Yeah. I mean, they, they is so crazy. Like how they have somehow managed with each of these fighters, especially the characters that come from fighting game franchises of which there are now several and they, they somehow make them feel at once totally at home within super smash brothers, but also faithful to the games that they come from. It's so impressive. Now I'm not going to, I'm not going to sit here and pretend that super smash brothers feels exactly like the Tekken series right. because it, it clearly doesn't. However, within the confines of super smash brothers, a lot of the stuff that you do as Kazuya makes you really feel like you're playing as that character. Of course, Kazuya has a few special attacks in conjunction with his devil form, which is something he has in the games. But I mean, yeah, you really feel like you're playing the Smash Brothers version of Kazuya Mishima in this character. They a lot of the same hit sparks, a lot of the same sound effects that they use, just all of these little subtle things that Sakurai does to make the characters feel like themselves, little subtle things that a lot of people wouldn't even notice. Obviously, a lot of people notice, well, obviously, a lot of people notice how many attacks the man has. A lot of people have noticed the fact that Kazuya's windscreen has the Tekken announcer announcing Kazuya as the victor. And those so are cool. Yeah, and that and those are just even more of the the wonderful little touches that prove just how faithful Sakurai tries to make all of these characters, just how respectful he is of all of these characters that he puts into the Super Smash Brothers series. And Kazuya is just further proof of how much of a hardcore fighting game fan Masahiro Sakurai is. And I love the man for it because I myself am a hardcore fighting game fan. So game respects game. And <laughs> I, I, he's just, he feels great. He really does. He, they had to make him a little bit faster with his attacks because as Sakurai said, they kept him with his original speed and he was just absolutely getting wrecked. And right. even speeding up a lot of his attacks quite a bit. I do wonder how effective he's going to be in a couple of situations because as many options as Kazuya has, he doesn't have a lot of really long range options. He's a He's a fist-based fighter. He is a fisticuffs 
based fighter. He's not a sword wielder. He doesn't have all these amazing magical powers. Yeah, don't get me wrong. He's got some supernatural abilities. He's got his devil laser and he's got a rushing punch attack that can stun opponents. And he's got a, a command grab that's got a pretty decent little uh, lurch forward to it. But most of Kazuya's attack options are pretty limited in range compared to a lot of the other fighters. And given how slow he is, I do wonder how effective he's going to be at high play considering that a lot of his attacks are much slower and have less range than many of the other characters. And I wonder how well Kazu is going to perform against really fast characters. Right. Because, again, a slightly slower attack and less range. So I feel like Sonic would absolutely wreck Kazuya. However, that remains to be seen, because they did give Kazuya a couple things to help offset that. He does have a little bit of super armor, especially when he's at low percentage, He's not gonna he's not gonna be put in hit stun by just a simple little jab, especially from a lot of the weaker characters. It's gonna take quite a bit to stun him out of the middle of an attack, especially especially a lot of his special moves and most especially his smash attacks. So low range, low attack speed, but a little bit of super armor to really help mitigate a lot of that to keep him from being completely destroyed by the rest of the uh, by the rest of the roster. But I'm still very very interested to see how Kazuya plays. And I did uh, check out the Mishima Dojo stage quite a bit. That was a ton of fun. That's a pretty unique little stage, kind of like the King of Fighter stage, where you actually have to break down the walls yes. and break down the the ceiling of the dojo just in order to be able to knock opponents out of the ring. The vast majority of other stages in the game have at least one area open for a character to be knocked out of, but no, you've got two walls and a ceiling that all have to be broken before a character can be KO'd. So in and of itself, it's that's a pretty fun, unique little stage and I'm glad they included it. And I'm glad I especially love the, the Jack seven spirit battle that they added with the new spirits for Tekken 7 because the Jack 7 spirit battle is a direct reference to the opening of Tekken 5 which is BT dubs one of the greatest fighting game openings of all time Tekken 5 is one of my favorite fighting games it's got a fantastic final boss it's got a fantastic opening it's just got really incredibly satisfying fighting mechanics and Kazuya was actually one of my mains in Tekken 5 you can rank up in Tekken since Tekken 5, and the highest rank, I believe still the highest rank, is Tekken Lord. And I absolutely got Kazuya up to Tekken Lord in Tekken 5. So if if you're a Tekken fan at all, definitely check Kazuya out. I've he's just he's a ton of fun to play. His down smash is able to dunk opponents. Got it's got a meteor effect. So I've been edge guarding people all week and just dunking them straight down. And it's so so satisfying. Kazuya's extra power to make up for, you know, his shortcomings makes his attacks so incredibly satisfying when they hit, which makes him so fun to play. He's not going to be the easiest character to play as. Pick a couple attacks that you're good with that you know and try to go with those. Don't try to master his entire moveset just because Kazuya has such a much larger moveset than the other characters. But I would definitely recommend playing him, if for no other reason, maybe one of the coolest things I've ever done in a Smash Brothers game, I did this past week with Kazuya, easily uh, top five knockouts that I've achieved in Smash Brothers Ultimate. I was oh, playing yeah. I was playing against Pac-Man, and you know Pac-Man's down special, he throws the fire hydrant underneath him, right? Mm-hmm. 
but you can hit once, you know, that fire hydrant is situated, you can hit that fire hydrant. And even if it hits Pac-Man, once that thing starts going flying from an attack, whoever it hits just winds up getting damaged. And that thing has a lot of damage and a lot of launch to it. I was underneath Pac-Man. He threw his hydrant down at me. And I actually uppercutted it with Kazuya in <laughs> mid-flight back up into Pac-Man and knocked him off the stage. That's amazing. It was so, like, I had to stop the match. It was against a computer. It was that one, you know, while I was just messing around with Kazuya, that one wasn't against an, a, a human opponent. I really wish it was. I absolutely wish I could have done that against a human opponent because I guarantee Because that you, person would have just deleted their game. Yeah, just <laughs> immediate rage quit. Just immediate rage quit. But just even doing it against the computer, having Pac-Man throw his stupid hydrant down below him and in mid-flight, in mid, there's no way I could do this. There's no way I could react to this. And I'm not even going to try to pretend that this was a hard read. No, this was not something I expected to have happen. But sure enough, right. I did a smash uppercut with Kazuya and in mid-flight, knocked Pac-Man's hydrant back at him, knocking him off the screen. It was so, <laughs> it. so beautifully satisfying. And I I mean, again, I don't know if Kazi's going to become my main, but I'm having a ton of fun with the devil of Tekken. So this is why I'm glad we have you on this show, because I'm sitting here, I'm just like, yeah, Kazi is a fun character. <laughs> oh, dude. So, yeah, I like him. I like him. He's not going to be my main. I mean, I, you know, I, I haven't spent nearly enough time with him. I want to play him some more, but um, I ran through, you know, classic mode with him, did all the spirit battles, playing as Kazuya. Of course. And um, yeah, so, I mean, it, he's he's fun. I, I, I like him. Is good character. Is good um, character. But obviously, yeah. obviously showing off Kazuya wasn't the only thing that we got from the Mr. Sakurai Presents this past Monday. In addition to showing off Kazuya, not only... Did we get 39 new tracks? Yes. 39 new music tracks from the Tekken series, which by the way, a few people have said this on Twitter over the past week, and it is 1000% true. The fighters pass is worth the price of admission alone just for the music. Mm -hmm. It absolutely is. The music that they've added into super smash brothers ultimate post launch is worth the price of the fighters passes alone. From Final Fantasy to ARMS to the King of Fighters, which had a bajillion songs added when they put Terry in to, you know, all the extra, again, like the Final Fantasy music that people wanted for years once they put Cloud into Super Smash Brothers on the Wii U. And we finally got that extra Final Fantasy music with Sephiroth. And even yes. going back to the uh, inclusion of Joker and all that Persona 5 music, just the music alone is worth the price of admission. If you're remotely a music fan, definitely uh, we definitely recommend picking up the Fighters Pass because the music player, like Super Smash Brothers Ultimate, in addition to being so many other things, has unquestionably the greatest video game soundtrack of all time, and it's only getting yeah. better. I mean, so, 100%. I mean, one of the coolest things about uh, Super Smash Brothers Ultimate to me, by, by the time it's all said and done, this game will have over 1,100 tracks in it. Um, and to to have this repository of amazing Nintendo music, in addition to remixes, like the for the Tekken track specifically, like one of my favorite things to do is to go through and see who Sakurai got 
to handle some of the remixes. One of them is done by Yoko Shimomura, yep, who is one of my favorite composers of all time. So, I mean, it's just it is so high standard. I, I love it, and yeah, absolutely worth the price of admission just for the music. Yeah, that was one of the reasons I was so hyped for the inclusion of Pyra and Mithras because I knew mm-hmm. we were getting more Xenoblade Chronicles two tunes because. There, there's a couple songs in Xenoblade Chronicles 2 that are among my favorite songs in video game history. And of course, both of those made it into Super Smash Brothers because Sakurai knows his stuff. Oh, so good. But like I said, not only did we get several dozen new tracks from the Tekken series, but we did get a few hearts broken. Yeah, those those me costumes. It's always a roll of the dice, right? Yeah. Now, don't get me wrong. I am happy to have them. And in many cases, you can manipulate a me fighter's moveset to make a me costume fighter feel very faithful to that fighter they're dressed yeah. up as. And I'm I'm happy to have a lot of the me fighter costumes in there because you technically give representation. You're technically giving fighter representation to dozens of more games, even if it's something as simple as a Team Rocket costume or something like Ray Mark III from Custom Robo, which I am honestly the proportions on the me like that's ba- that's Ray, that's absolutely <laughs> Ray from from Custom Robo, and you can one thousand percent give the me gunner a move set that is indicative of Ray from Custom Robo. So I mean that's Ray, but we did deconfirm a couple fan favorite characters with the me costumes from the Mr. Sakurai presents this past week. And it's already been very widely publicized. So we will just very briefly go over it because I know the wounds are still fresh for a lot of you, but yes, we did get me fighter costumes confirmed for the Dragonborn from the elder scrolls, Skyrim, uh, Dovahkiin, as they said, you know, now everybody can foos Roda. <laughs> we did get a me fighter costume for the, devilishly charismatic Dante from Devil May Cry, a character that so, so many people really, really wanted in Super Smash Brothers. And a lot of people really felt that Byleth should have been. Uh, because yeah. if, you, if you take Byleth's moveset, that moveset could have very easily, very easily been translated to Dante. And I, I there's, see that. there's not a doubt in my mind that there's a Dante mod out there for, for Byleth. So getting Dante officially deconfirmed was kind of a heartbreaker for a lot of people. We also got Lloyd from the GameCube classic Tales of Symphonia, the bane of the completionist's existence. But last but not least, absolutely not least, I I really was, as a matter of fact, I'm pretty sure I put this character in my top five characters I would love to see come to Fighters Pass 2 back in our very first episode. But... Mm -hmm. We finally got confirmation of a me costume for the half genie hero herself, Shantae. Yeah, but what's cool about Shantae, though, is kind of like we got with both uh, Sans from Undertale and Cuphead, she actually includes a music track, uh, Burning Town, from Shantae, half genie hero. So it's it's always nice. I mean, that, it is one way of looking at it to be like, oh, this, you know, this stinks. They're deconfirmed. But another way of looking at it is like, hey, I mean, at least they're getting representation. And in the case of something like Shantae, I mean, she's got now a full Shantae music track added to the soundtrack of the game. I mean, I I consider that a win. 
I do too. And way forward certainly seems to, they were incredibly excited mm-hmm. to have Shantae as a playable me fighter in super smash brothers. They retweeted and they were posting, they were doing all kinds of stuff. They were incredibly hype. Limited run games was super hype. And we even tweeted it uh, at way forward. It was like, yeah, we can't wait to play as Shantae and absolutely having the music track in certainly makes Shantae's me fighter costume feel a lot more special. It feels like it's on par with some of those, you know, real fan favorite me costume characters that yeah. they added like Cuphead, like Sans. So I'm very, very pleased and very interested to see what, you know, obviously with the Shantae being a me brawler, we know what she's going to play like, but I do feel like she's going to play a little bit differently. At least she's going to feel like she plays a little bit differently for me. Yeah, I mean, that's right? the, if I do start playing as a me brawler, it's going to be because of Shantae. I'm glad we have that. Would have liked to have seen her get a full roster slot, but I am glad that we have. I am glad that we at least have all of these me fighter costumes in this game because I, there's just such a ridiculous amount of content in this game between the characters and the stages, the spirits, the items. There's just so much crammed into this title along with all the music that like it's sometimes you just kind of got to be happy with however a game can get in there. And the fact that you can actually play as Shantae, the half genie hero, even in some facsimile of herself, right. it, do, it does make me very happy. So uh, again, a lot of hearts broken with a lot of these me costume reveals during the Mr. Sakurai presents, but you know, at least, at least there's a consolation prize. Totally. And I mean, that's, that's the thing that you guys have to remember too, is like, you're not going to please everybody with a game like this, there's always going to be somebody that somebody out there is going to wish made it in. But at the end of the day, this is still bar none, the most legendary roster in fighting in video game history and in general of playable characters. And, and we were honestly probably never going to see anything quite like this again. We are living in the best possible timeline and I think we should all just enjoy it. (laughs) We should. And I'm just telling you all right now, Temper your expectations. There is only one fighter left for Super Smash mm-hmm. Brothers Ultimate. More than likely going to be revealed right at the very end of the year, probably at the Game Awards. Sakurai specifically said it was going to be a while, but it would still come this year. So uh, I I would put betting money on the final Smash character being revealed at the Game Awards. And don't get your hopes up. There are still, like I said earlier, a lot of very worthy characters that could potentially make it into the final roster slot of fighters pass two. And let's all not forget that it doesn't necessarily have to be a major announcement because Byleth was the final announcement of fighters pass one. So I'm just saying temper your expectations, guys be happy with all the characters and all the content that we have, because there are going to be a lot of people out there wishing so hard upon that star that their boy, that their girl, that their character finally makes it in in the final roster slot. And when that doesn't happen, regardless of who gets announced, I know there is going to be a ton of venom and toxicity online following the final Smash Brothers fighter announcement. So I'm just putting that out there. Don't get your hopes up. This may wind up being the most hyped Smash Brothers announcement so far just because of the stakes that are involved with it being the final roster slot and all the characters who are in many people's minds vying for that last uh, that last slot. 
But just if Master Chief doesn't get in, if Ryu Hayabusa doesn't get in, if uh, Doom Guy doesn't get in, if Crash right. or Spyro don't get in, just it's not the end of the world, guys. It's still a phenomenal game. We are all very lucky to have it. But just, you know, don't start attacking randos online. I think that Nintendo is aware of the expectation coming into this. And but I mean, guys, yeah, come in with low expectations and be happy, you know, or pleasantly surprised one way or the other with who does get announced and just be happy with what we have. I mean, it's such an amazing game. So but uh, real quick, though, speaking of Super Smash Brothers Ultimate, (laughs) uh, you know, Finally, hot off the heels of getting the uh, Sophia from Persona 5 Strikers and the Arthur Spirits added into the permanent spirit board rotation, like right after that, they announced that a new spirit is going to get added for Monster Hunter Stories 2, the Raisewing Ratha plus hero character spirit. And it's basically going to function the way that those did. If you have saved data for the full version of Monster Hunter Stories 2, you will have that spirit unlocked. And we can assume that just like these, probably after a six month period of time, uh, you will have these spirits available permanently to everybody, but yeah, they're going to make you want to go buy monster (laughs) Hunter stories too. Yeah. We, we were very annoyed at seeing that they were locking spirits behind save files for full price retail games. And You know, again, finally, several months later, they finally decided to release Sophia and Arthur to the general public on the normal rotation for the spirit board. And there was much rejoicing. And then they almost immediately announced a brand new spirit that would function exactly the same way to make up for the fact that we were losing those other two. So, I mean, at the end of the day, as much as we love Nintendo, sometimes Nintendo is just going to Nintendo. But if you get a copy of Monster Hunter Stories 2, then you won't have to deal with the frustration of having to to live with Super Smash Brothers Ultimate with one spirit missing from Ugh. your collection out of 1,500. But for some of us... For some of us, the frustration is real. Yeah, but hey, sometimes Nintendo does do nice, unexpected things like they did Thursday night when out of absolutely nowhere, they released a free update for Mario Kart Live Home Circuit. Like what? I I love this. I really do. Because just when you think that we are completely done talking about a a ton of Mario stuff from last year's Mario 35th anniversary celebration just like they did with Super Mario Party, just this huge update absolutely out of nowhere. No announcement, no uh, buildup, just, hey, here's a whole bunch of new content, free content, by the way, for this game that you've already spent money on. So, uh, yeah, ultimately, the new content comes down to a brand new cup, the Mario cup with three new level motifs you got this oil slick oil drum slick uh style stage you've got this jungle stage and then uh what was the other one seth the it's like dinosaurs and fossils yeah how did i forget about the dinosaur stage yeah that was one of my favorite tracks from i can't was it dinosaur mountain or something from the gamecube from double dash yes i know the one you're referring to It, it yeah i mean it's it's really cool. Like it's just a huge update that they added out of absolute nowhere. It's like, Hey, um, what's it like nine o'clock on a Thursday night? Hey guys, updates out, <laughs> you know? And, uh, yeah, a whole new cup added to the game. Like, and coming in, I think the, the deal is you have to get within the top three slots 
in in Mario Cup when you race in it and you unlock even a new Yoshi cart. So, I mean, yeah, really cool. Like just out of nowhere, what a nice little surprise for, you know, Super Mario Party, I think is a really good corollary there because just like that, I mean, this comes out of nowhere and it's just kind of a nice unexpected surprise. You know, it's always nice when we have the ability to to get excited about something, but sometimes just taking a game that you've maybe set aside for the past month or so, because as much as you love it, it is starting to kind of run its course, no pun intended. And then just out of nowhere, you just get this massive content drop that just makes you need to put that game back in again and spend another 10, 15 hours with it. Just free update, free content, more fun, no extra cost. Yeah, I mean, 100%. And we uh, that's not even the end of the uh, of the updates that we have to talk about this week. I know, right? Okay, so we've been talking about it for a while, but one of our top five games of 2020 uh, finally got their huge content update dated. It's coming in just a couple weeks, just under a couple weeks. As a matter of fact, July 15th, we are getting a massive expansion for the phenomenal beat-em-up Streets of Rage 4. That's going to include several new characters, a new mode, and just a lot more of Eric going, gone, gone, <laughs> gone. Just me throwing a bunch of weird jobbers off of an elevator with the cyborg Samoan. And I'm here for it. Yes, yes. Three new playable characters, Estelle, Max, and Shiva. The new survivor mode, which looks awesome. Um, and actually this is cool because that is going to be paid DLC, the Mr. X nightmare DLC for seven 99. Um, but in addition to that, you will get a free update that launches alongside that DLC that adds a training mode to the game, new color palette options for all of the playable characters, a new mania plus difficulty setting and balance changes. So that's really cool. The The fact that on July 15th, we've got this $7.99 DLC pack that adds all this cool stuff. But if you just own the game, you get a free update that adds more cool stuff. I just, I, that's awesome. Yeah. That just like the Mario Kart live thing, that is a, that is a pretty substantial amount of free content to add into the game. Even if it's just color swaps, the fact that it's multiple color swaps for every playable character, the fact that it's adding a training mode, which in a game like that can be a lot of help and a new difficulty mode. I mean, there are a lot of hardcore beat up fans out there that are probably chomping at the bit just for that new difficulty mode, just to see if they're up to snuff, just to see if their streets are rage enough. <laughs> Absolutely. And they actually piggybacking off of that announcement, uh, Merge Games announced that they're going to be publishing a complete physical edition of the game on September 24th. Basically the game and all of its DLC. So. Uh, why, why, why you do this to me, Merge? I already bought your limited run physical edition of the game. I've got the steel book. Why you do this to me? Because I will yep. buy it again. <laughs> That's why. You just answered your own question, man. I already have the Genesis clamshell with the steelbook and the CD and the, I already have all of it. I spent a lot of money and it's pretty. Why you do this to me, Merge? It's not good enough. They need more of your money. (laughs) You know what? I think I need to mellow out a little bit, Seth. I think I need to come down a little bit. You think, you know what I need? What's that? I need a nice, cheery, doofy bite. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh man yeah happy late uh bidoof day right you know what i nintendo woke up this past thursday and they chose chaos 
<laughs> they announced it beforehand. The the, the Pokemon company on, on their official Twitter account announced their like plans for Bidoof Day. And we all sort of laughed it off. But I've gotta I've gotta admit, the way that this all culminated into what was essentially a Bidoof themed Rickroll. That was genius. It was I mean so good. And like high effort, they actually animated a Bidoof like dancing in an environment that was kind of a facsimile of the Rick Astley music video and wrote lyrics to this parody. Yeah. Wrote new lyrics to <laughs> never going to give you up. Can't like stole the, stole the melody right off of never going to give you up and wrote new Bidoof themed lyrics to it and did a straight up Pokemon themed Rick roll on July 1st. I don't know if July 1st is, some weird April's April Fool's Day in Japan or something. I don't know if that's the case because that was what Pokemon did for April Fool's Day. There was this total Bidoof takeover right. on April Fool's Day. And this almost feels like all of the stuff they weren't able to have ready for April Fool's Day, including this Rick Roll Bidoof music video. But I had no clue why Pokemon was doing this. I, I didn't understand. However, Honestly, as as stupid, frankly, as the vast majority of it was, when they posted the link to that music video and that tune came in, and I heard from an official Pokemon released product. <laughs> I lost it. I absolutely lost it. That was one of the greatest things I've ever seen is an official Pokemon music video with the melody to Rick Astley's Never Gonna Give You Up, an official Pokemon Rick Roll. Well played, Pokemon. But speaking of uh, confusion, confusing marketing, maybe even, um, this is something that I wanted to stop and talk to you guys about for, for just a second, if you'll indulge me. All right, let's all come to th- let's let's all come to Seth's TED talk, everybody. Yeah, basically, right? Because this is something I've talked about on the show before. It has bugged me to no end that I have never been able to find. Like I have searched for official point blank. Yes. Overwatch two is coming to the Nintendo switch, right? The, the game has had a trailer uploaded on Nintendo's YouTube channel, but no, like Nintendo switch logo was found in said trailer. Like there has been, as far as I've been able to find no official confirmation that overwatch two was coming to the Nintendo switch, despite evidence to it happening. I could never find word like from Blizzard officially until this week. Earlier this week, there was a Reddit AMA that happened with uh, members of the Overwatch 2 team. And the Overwatch 2 technical director, John LaFleur, was asked a question about basically how the game was going to be running on the Nintendo Switch. And um, I'm not going to, you know, get into the whole explanation, but basically it was what you would expect. It was saying, hey, like Overwatch 2 is coming to the Switch. It is going to obviously be scaled back from like the PC version. But yes, we're going to be making sure that the game runs as well as possible on the Nintendo Switch. And it was just, for me personally, so nice to finally have a yes or no answer on this. It's been driving me crazy. And uh, yeah, so so after after just this long period of uncertainty, folks, I can finally confirm to you all that yes, Overwatch 2 is heading to the Nintendo Switch. (laughs) 
and going basically to the complete opposite end of the gaming spectrum from a game that for all intents and purposes is probably going to define next gen. We're going from that to the actual Game Boy because it's been an oddly good week for the Game Boy this past week. Just a couple days ago, we got multiple Nintendo Game Boy centric announcements. First, we got the announcement from Limited Run Games that they are going to be opening pre-orders for their physical release of Tailgater from the Game Boy, the 1991 arcade-style adventure game in Game Boy cartridge form in 2021. So that's a thing. So that's a thing. So if you have a Game Boy, you'll be able to pick up a brand new physical edition of a game that's 30 years old from Limited Run Games on the 9th. However... If 30-year-old games aren't your thing, I have a surprise for you, boys and girls. There's actually a brand new Game Boy game currently in the works. The Kickstarter has opened for Planet Hop, a brand new game being developed specifically for the Game Boy and Game Boy Color. And honestly, we looked at the pitch video and we we did some research into Planet Hop. It actually looks kind of cool. Yeah, it really does. It looks really cool. I mean, very clearly inspired by like Kirby, you know, kind of those Game Boy platformers, right? And that's not a bad thing whatsoever. Um, It's got compatibility with the, like you said, original Game Boy, Game Boy Color. It can be played on the GBA, of course, on the Super Game Boy attachment. Um, You can actually, if you back the game, you actually can even get access to the ROM and play it on your PC. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it looks pretty high standard. And one of the things that the developer, uh, specifically mentions in the Kickstarter was that unlike other games of this scope, I mean, we've talked about games being made for, you know, old hardware before, but a lot of times just because of development resources or whatever, they're not usually, you know, big in-depth affairs. It's usually the kind of thing where it's like, okay, it's a fun little novelty, a couple hours long, whatever, But with Planet Hop, um, the developer says that he intends to make this a full-length, fully-featured game. It will feature at least 72 stages and at least eight bosses with uh, eight worlds. Uh, So, and, you know, plans to expand that depending on how well the Kickstarter campaign goes. And, yeah, there's there's gameplay in the pitch video. There's uh, plenty to look at here. A physical release that can be funded by the Kickstarter. So I will link to that in the episode description if you guys want to check that out. And um, yeah, Planet Hop is probably going to be one to keep an eye on. Especially if you like retro style games, which we clearly do. One of our uh, most recent indie showcases from last month is all about a Game Boy style action platformer. Save Me Mr. Taco Definitive Edition. Speaking of limited run games, I think you and I are going to be very interested in seeing how this one shapes up. So uh, Planet Hop on Kickstarter now. Check it out. Uh, But coming into the end of our news roundup, we do have a couple just quick little PSAs. I do want to make everybody aware. We did recently review the new Mortal Kombat live action movie that recently dropped on HBO Max. And it turns out that Warner Brothers Animation, the studio behind a lot of the DC animated movies, which many of those are really good. You should probably check a lot of those out. Those are all uh, mostly all on HBO Max. Definitely get those a look. But that animation studio is doing a new Mortal Kombat animated movie, which is a follow-up to Mortal Kombat Legends Scorpion's Revenge from, I believe, 
last year, last year or the year before, but they are now doing Mortal Kombat Legends Battle for the Realms, Battle of the Realms, which is going to be the first one, Scorpion's Revenge, was a little bit uniquely structured in terms of Mortal Kombat narrative. But this one is really going to center on the tournament itself and the story around the tournament. So it is going to be a much more, I guess, traditional style Mortal Kombat narrative. But it's definitely going to be a Mortal Kombat movie. And what I mean by that is a lot of blood, a lot of heads probably being ripped off, maybe with the spine still attached, maybe not too early to tell. But it's definitely going to be a Mortal Kombat movie. And if you haven't checked out Mortal Kombat Legends, Scorpion's Revenge, it's a fun little blood fest. And it was good enough that I thought that a sequel being announced by WB Animation was at least worth a mention. So if you're a big Mortal Kombat fan, do check out Mortal Kombat Legends, Scorpion's Revenge, and the upcoming Mortal Kombat Battle of the Realms. But the final thing that we just want to talk about is the fact that there's a game that just got released on the Nintendo eShop from our friends over at Atui, and we just want to shout them out real quick. Yes, yes, definitely. Uh, just released yesterday, as a matter of fact, uh, Pick Tui from our friends at Atui and Jules Watchem. It was actually kind of funny because we've been waiting on this announcement for a little while now. Um, just a little peek behind the curtain, I suppose. We ended up, when we had Jules Watchem on the show back in, what, January now? Mm-hmm. Um, we spoke with him for a long time and, and had a really great candid conversation with him. Ended up talking to him for like, like two and a half hours or something like that. Something like um, that. Yeah. Jules was great. He's a fantastic guy. You should definitely support him. Awesome guy. And we, uh, and we, we, yeah, we love what he's doing over there and we've stayed in touch with him, remained friends with him. And, but yeah, during that conversation, he actually just kind of told us like in confidence about the idea behind pick Tui. And we were both just kind of like, dude, I'm like, say no more. I'm sold. You know, when is this thing getting announced? And he's like, yeah, soon, you know, and uh, now it's finally getting announced and released and it's out now. You can, you can buy it and play it. It's essentially Picross meets Brain Age. And I think that's an itch that really needs to be scratched on the system, especially here in the States where we don't have inexplicably the new Brain Age game yet. So yeah, definitely go support uh, Jules and pick up Pick Tui. Yeah, I, w- I had just become a brand new Picross fan with Super Mario Picross on the NSO app. So when Jules was talking to us and he wound up telling us about Pick 2 I was on board. I just thought it sounded like a great idea, everything he described it. And just, just with a few seconds, I've been able to look at the game and its screenshots. It looks like they were basically able to implement everything that Jules was talking about. So that is definitely something I'm going to be doing in the upcoming week. Congratulations on the launch, Jules. And yeah, actually, you know, that, that that brings up an interesting point because they've been making some really quality Nintendo games for quite some time. Games like Mutant Muds, games like Chicken Wiggle, games like Zeo Drifter, and Pictouille is just the latest one. So, you know, uh, there's been some, some news this past week about small studios becoming enveloped with big studios. So I, I do wonder what a Tui games would look like if they had more Nintendo backing. Eric, Eric, do you hear that? Oh, I shouldn't have said anything, should I? It, it's too late. It's already in motion, Eric. It's a blue shell topic. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, it's here. Well, all right. Well, since it's here, I guess we'll talk about it. This past week, 
Sony very publicly acquired multiple game studios in a bid to, I guess, try to start buying up potential competition, I guess, in a bid to secure some of their exclusive IPs, in a bid to, I guess, try to strengthen their position within the games industry. I guess maybe a little bit of all three. But again, Sony very publicly, very high profile E acquired Returnal developer Housemark and PC mm-hmm. port developer Nixes. Uh, it doesn't really surprise me that they decided to pick up Housemark because Housemark has been working with Sony for quite some time. If you ever played Super Stardust HD back on the PlayStation 3, that was a great little twin stick shooter. But Returnal seems like it's going to be a game of the year contender. So it doesn't really surprise me that. Sony finally pulled the trigger on that. It did certainly garner a lot of buzz, but the fact that they got them and now have picked up the maker of PC port Nixes, which presumably is going to dip pretty deep into Microsoft's pockets because of it. Uh, it got us thinking. It got us thinking quite a bit. Yeah, so what's what's interesting about this too, right, is that we... So Sony is very much like Nintendo in that they don't acquire studios that often. Typically their most high profile one lately was of insomniac, of course, um, which happened last year. But when, when you look at Sony's typical approach to this, it's very similar to Nintendo. They're not the kind of people to go buy up studios. So for them to finally work housemark into the fold, uh, they kind of accidentally let it slip that blue point studios is also being worked in, but that has not been officially announced yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a funny little accident on Sony's part. They, Whoops. Yeah. They accidentally tweeted out the, a very similar image that they made for housemark, but with blue point. And it's like, Hmm. Okay. The, the ink probably wasn't dry on that contract yet, but, uh, in any case, it's it's interesting, too, to consider that when you look at the other kind of uh, spoke in this wheel, so to speak, Xbox, they have taken essentially the opposite approach. Xbox has been buying up studios left and right from the high profile acquisition, of course, of Bethesda to smaller studios like Double Fine. Xbox seems to be gobbling up studios left and right and working them into the Microsoft Game Studios family. And Nintendo seems to take a pretty measured approach to this. I mean, they did recently earlier this year, back in March, acquire next level games, but Nintendo is not the type to kind of acquire companies or work companies into the Nintendo family very often. So it does kind of make you wonder, should they, should this be something that Nintendo does more aggressively? Now we are very much for independent game studios. We have a ton of friends at this point who are independent developers. And of course, we feature independent games every week without fail here on All In, a Nintendo podcast. But we also understand that, especially from a business perspective, there are a ton of benefits to outright acquiring, to outright buying smaller development studios. And a lot of the times that can greatly benefit those people working at those formerly independent game development studios. There are a lot of reasons to buy up smaller studios. So let's just kind of quickly go over some of the big ones. 
One, you buy up a studio that you already have a great partnership with that's already been developing a lot of really good products for you. You acquire them as a means to essentially bring them closer to the nest so that if they need more resources, if they need more help with something, that not only does it make that easier, however, you also give that studio a lot more stability. And you also give it a lot more granted yes at the same time you give it a lot more corporate oversight which uh most people would see as a negative but the trade-off of having the extra resources and more stability certainly makes that an attractive option for a lot of people another big reason that bigger studios will buy up smaller studios another reason that ea a big reason that ea does this is basically forced exclusivity so that whatever products they're making, you make sure they can't make for anybody else but you. Now, in the sense of a lot of the Nintendo IPs, Nintendo, of course, is very famously restrictive and very famously protective of its own IPs. So I don't know, you know, I'm not really too worried about next level games developing a Luigi's Mansion for Microsoft or Sony. However... There are a lot of other independent developers out there who are working on licenses that have nothing to do with Nintendo's IPs, but are still releasing a lot of games under the Nintendo, you know, umbrella. Atui that we were just talking about is a really great example of this. Uh, Atui's games very much have a Nintendo style identity. And this is something that uh, Jules even wholeheartedly admitted to. Uh, There's a Nintendo feel that you know this this fun this feeling of being fun all ages fun that he tries to to emulate and to great success in our opinion but atui i think is a really good example of a nintendo style company that still creates and still develops games for other consoles so would it be a good idea for nintendo to bring that company into the fold and i think the other third really big reason that a big publisher that a big developer that a big company would choose to assimilate uh, a smaller studio is basically the talent you have a lot of talented people at a lot of these independent studios so if you own the studio you technically own those employees work time and you could wind up buying up a studio with no intention of ever uh, having them develop those games again. But you could say, hey, Atui, you guys are really good at these retro stylized pixel art games like Zeo Drifter, like Mutant Muds. How about we have you guys develop a 2D pixel art style retro version of a Mario game or a Metroid game? Like you and I would love that. But oh, please. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure Jules would be all about that. But, you know, there 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 may be some developers, there may be some companies out there who wouldn't be as, you know, warm to that idea. So there's a lot of really understandable reasons why bigger companies would choose to and maybe even should absorb and acquire smaller game studios. But there are a lot of negatives kind of thrown in there, too. I think the biggest one is the idea that the independent companies would lose the ability to really seek out their own vision on their terms. Sure. Yeah. There's a sort of like, you know, like a punk rock kind of vibe to an artist's kind of vibe to a lot of independent studios. Like, we're just making our art. We're making our game the way we want to make it. And I mean, we're, we're talking to Christian Hoyser working on death trash later on at the top of the show. 
And I mean, that's definitely something going on with Death Trash. It's like you could argue that a game like Death Trash wouldn't be made, at least not in the same way, if it were, you know, presumably under a Nintendo umbrella, right? So, yeah. I mean, that's that's definitely something to consider. I think also, like, when, when you think about some of this stuff, right, uh, we've actually had the privilege, j- just by nature of our indie games coverage over the length of the show, um, and, and being able to speak with so many independent developers, we actually have kind of a unique perspective and have been given uh, a, a unique perspective on the way Nintendo approaches indie games. And what I'm thinking of specifically are a couple of things. First of all, I want to point back to our interview with Matthew Toronto a few months ago on the show where he talked about how he actually pitched Star Tropics to Nintendo, how he wanted to do Star Tropics. And Nintendo basically responded with, hey, typically what we do is we approach independent developers or developers in general who are already working on something else and kind of see if we can work them into the fold of one of our existing IP. So that was interesting to learn from that interview. On the flip side, we talked to Adam Tierney from Way Forward, who was talking about, hey, uh, I actually can't really talk about any potential Nintendo deals because we're always talking with Nintendo, and flash forward to E3, and all of a sudden, Way Forward's working on Advance Wars, right? Yep. So Nintendo is no stranger to working with developers on on making you know exclusive games for their platforms but when it comes to actually acquiring studios and owning them you know and working them into the family and putting them under the umbrella nintendo has got a very unique stance and i've got a quote here from nintendo president mr furukawa who says that the studio doesn't want to drop uh tons of money on acquisitions unless it quote improves the value of entertainment that nintendo provides we are not just blindly acquiring companies because we want development resources. We don't think that simply expanding the scale of our business will really improve the value of the entertainment that Nintendo provides, end quote. In other words, we're not doing it because we don't feel like we have to do it. <laughs> so, 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 I mean, I think Nintendo is kind of in this place where they're like, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, you know? And I think Nintendo is very much looking at EA and what EA has been doing for a long time, which is buying up a lot of these independent, a lot of these smaller video game developers. And then ultimately those developers just disappear into EA. They get completely dissolved. Those game IPs just go away like dust in the wind. And then the people, the developers, the amazing programmers that worked for those companies wind up just getting assimilated into the larger EA family and, you know, put on, put on a team just to help code the next Madden or the next Call of Duty. So you're losing all of this creative vision. You're losing all of these unique ideas through the haphazard way that EA and frankly, greedily gluttonous way that EA is just gobbling up smaller studios. And I think Nintendo has been looking at that approach and saying, yeah, we really don't think that's working very well for them. We've got a lot of stuff because Nintendo's very much always uh, marched to the beat of their own drum. If their entire history hasn't been enough evidence of that so far, but given that all of these companies are starting to really get serious about a lot of these acquisitions, just like you said, Microsoft has been buying up a lot of different smaller developers. And I think that's a big reason that Game Pass has become so attractive is because 
Microsoft has direct access to all of these developers. Just just look at the Game Pass value that's been added because of their Bethesda acquisition. Yep. So with these companies really getting much more serious about trying to snipe and trying to acquire these smaller developers, is it now time for Nintendo to start doing the same so they don't start losing a lot of the incredible talent that has been making a lot of their, you know, popular games? Like, there's a lot of companies out there. There's a lot of developers out there that I don't think a lot of people realize aren't officially part of Nintendo just because they do wind up making official Nintendo games and using official Nintendo license. There are some big name developers that work directly with Nintendo and some of their IPs that are still third party. Yeah, like piggybacking off of that, actually, we we had a couple of community comments in reference to this that, that we wanted to definitely shout out here. Um, because Emerald Element, our buddy Phelan in the Discord, <laughs> um, actually had a comment here where he says, I thought Nintendo already owned HAL. He's referring to HAL Laboratories, the Kirby developer, um, you know, who has made legendary, you know, IP for Nintendo and has worked basically exclusively with Nintendo, but has never actually been brought into the Nintendo family, is not owned by Nintendo. Um, And he continues, if not, that should definitely happen. But either way, so long as they keep giving us great experiences, Nintendo can keep rocking like they have been, and I'll be a okay which is very much the sentiment that <laughs> that Nintendo has too. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I think that speaks to to the kind of like cultural zeitgeist of it, of like, you might not even know that HAL Laboratory, I think the vast majority of people don't even know that HAL Laboratory is not technically a Nintendo studio because they work so closely with Nintendo. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are many studios like this. Intelligent Systems is another one. The Paper Mario and Fire Emblem guys are not owned by Nintendo. Grezzo, who has been working exclusively with Nintendo, even on games in the Legend of Zelda franchise, not owned by Nintendo. Game Freak, the Pokemon guys, are not owned by Nintendo. I mean, there's some major, major IP and franchises and studios working on Nintendo games that are not officially in the Nintendo family. And... Yeah, I mean, maybe it is kind of time for Nintendo to to put a ring on some of these people, you know? Yeah, because if Microsoft comes calling to even one or two of those developers with all that Bill Gates money, they can they can land a massive blow to Nintendo's first party game production. Now, Nintendo has so so many IPs they're working on, but there are a ton of IPs that people expect to see every few years. If all of a sudden Nintendo wasn't if all of a sudden Nintendo basically lost their entire team for Fire Emblem, that would be a massive blow to the company. If, Despite the fact it's not one of the biggest franchises, if they lost their entire Paper Mario team, that would be a massive blow to the franchise. Could you imagine, could you imagine if somehow in some universe in the darkest timeline, if Nintendo lost access to Sora Limited? Right. Yeah. I mean, because then it becomes an issue of like, of course, Nintendo retains the IP, but yeah. you lose the team. You know, and that's such a huge part. I mean, these are the the artists making the art. I mean, if if you, you know, if you lose the artist, you're not getting the art anymore. (laughs) Yeah. Imagine Nintendo trying to develop a Super Smash Brothers game without Masahiro Sakurai. Just imagine that dark timeline. So, yeah, 
You know, there's just so many angles to this conversation. There's a lot of really understandable reasons why an independent studio wouldn't allow themselves to be purchased by a bigger company. But there's a lot of very practical, very understandable reasons as to why they should. There's a lot of very practical, understandable reasons why Nintendo would be more than happy to let a lot of their independent developer partners continue to operate independently. But Again, on that flip side, there are quite a few reasons why Nintendo should really think about acquiring and putting a ring on a lot of this talent. I mean, regardless of, you know, a gentleman's partnership, regardless of a handshake, at the end, the video games business is still a business. Things don't last forever. And if you don't have a contract with somebody, if you don't have a long-standing agreement, if your agreement with somebody ends at the end of this game, or if your agreement ends with somebody at the end of this year, some other company could come in and grab them up. And all of a sudden, this developer, this friend, this partner that you have been comfortable with in your working relationship with them is now all of a sudden not a part of your company. And especially when it comes to Sony, in a process that we detailed quite a bit in our previous episode about the history of the creation of the Nintendo 64, it would not surprise me at all if Sony started throwing a lot of money around at some of these studios just to get them away from Nintendo. Yeah, PlayStation PlayStation walks in like, how laboratories, I want to make you an offer you cannot refuse. (laughs) You know. It blows my mind that Sony didn't uh, formally try to acquire Platinum. Yeah, Platinum's another studio, right? Where it's like that that seems like a no-brainer to go ahead and you know acquire Platinum. Um, I do want to paint the full picture here from the perspective of all of these uh, kind of major you know figureheads that we're speaking about between Nintendo, Xbox, and PlayStation. I want to paint the objective journalistic truth of the matter and, and kind of give it to you guys from the horse's mouth a little bit too because from PlayStation's perspective... Uh, they say here, and they actually threw a little bit of shade at Microsoft recently in, a, in an interview regarding the Housemark acquisition, where PlayStation Studios chief Herman Hulse said that uh, Sony is not engaging in an acquisition arm race because, quote, we're very selective about the developers we bring in. It's not like we're going around and just making random acquisitions. They're very, very targeted acquisitions of teams that we know well, end quote. And likewise, when you bounce over to the Xbox side, their perspective on it is interesting too because they say, this comes from Phil Spencer, and he says, quote, starting a new studio, starting any small business, frankly, is a very risky proposition. Starting a video game studio is even more so. And if a team actually takes the risk of starting a new company, starting a new studio, building that over years, building value in that, to say that they shouldn't sell, I think is just short-sighted. It doesn't mean every team has to end up selling their studio, but I think it is a natural and healthy part of our industry that certain teams will start a studio, many of them will fail, we know most small businesses will fail, whether it's video games or anything else, but those that make it through, and it's such a kind of risk-filled journey for them to get to the point that create real value, I'm always going to congratulate them when teams get to where they realize value through acquisition or just massive independent success if that's the path they also start to go on. That's, end quote. That's a very long-winded way of saying basically that the fact of the matter is with a studio acquisition is it does uh, it does have perceived value. It means hey, you've created something that is worth something to me, Microsoft. So therefore, you must sell it. Yeah. So so that's that's Microsoft's angle on it, and that's PlayStation's angle on it. I just wanted to lay that all out there as well. 
Um, but something that Herman Hulse says here that I think is interesting, and it kind of feeds into what we've been talking about, is that term arms race. It feels like that, right? It, it's mm-hmm. starting to feel like, okay, how many more studios are there to buy? You know what I mean? Like how many, how many more of these kind of major studios? I mean, Microsoft bought like obsidian, you know, there's, there's a lot of studios that are, you know, that, that are kind of on the market right now. And I'm not saying that, like you said, loyalty only goes so far. People like Hal and Grezzo and even platinum may work, you know, may love working with Nintendo or whatever, but if Microsoft or PlayStation comes up to you with a blank check, you're not going to turn that down. You know what I mean? So yeah, it's, it's a really interesting topic. It's a really multifaceted topic too, yeah. that, I, that I think, you know, we could definitely uh, spend a lot of time talking about, but I think at the face of it, um, I think we're in agreement that some of these studios, it's kind of crazy that Nintendo hasn't locked down yet. Um, I will, I do want to point something out too, real quick with the game freak situation where um, game freak being kind of the Pokemon company, uh, does operate autonomously from Nintendo, more or less, um, and this is uh, something that Solo something in the discount uh, in the Discord uh, shouted. I still try to understand the unique relationship between Nintendo and the Pokemon gang. Seems they would come on over for corporate benefits alone. Um, what what I have to say to that, just really quickly, is that you know Pokemon is the biggest entertainment franchise in the world, mm-hmm. and Nintendo is probably happy to let them do what they want to do. <laughs> You know, that's true. But a lot of these other big developers that are already working with first party Nintendo properties, that seems like a lot of those companies, it would just make sense at this point to be formally acquired by Nintendo. Because one of the biggest arguments against that is the addition of corporate oversight. But if you're already working with Nintendo's first party IPs, their first party franchises, there's already going to be a ton of direct oversight from Nintendo. So in that regard, it just it feels like it would just make more sense to to just officially bring them into the fold. But I mean, I don't know. There's, again, so many facets to this argument. There's so many arguments to be made for and against it. I know there's a ton of people vehemently against it. And again, we are very pro indie developer. We mm-hmm, There are clearly. a ton of great indie developers out there. But for some of them, it would make sense to consider trying to marry up with the right bigger company. Let me let me put it to you this way. My my wife and I were together for eight years. And we were living together for a long period of time with that. We considered ourselves to be essentially married. But at a certain point, we said, you know what? We need that piece of paper. We need those rings on our fingers. So I think it's really similar with Nintendo. I think it's like, hey, like, Hal, we've been working together. We've been making stuff like this together for decades. But at a certain point, put a ring on it, man. But what do you guys think? Should Nintendo start acquiring some of their partner studios they've been working with for some time? Or do you think it's perfectly okay for them to continue operating the way they have been because there is no real credible threat to many of those partners leaving for greener pastures? I This is such an interesting argument to us. We would genuinely like to know what you all have to say on it. So reach out to us on Facebook, Twitter, and join the Discord conversation and let us know. 
And while you're doing that, do please give a like, a follow, and a subscribe to All In and Nintendo Podcast, both on YouTube and to whatever streaming service you happen to be listening to our wonderful passion project of a Nintendo Podcast on, whether it be iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or SoundCloud. We want to thank each and every one of our listeners, each and every one of our followers for hanging out with us each and every week and making us part of your weekly rotation. Namaste. But regardless of what actually happens, if Nintendo does at some point decide to go on a big spending spree and start gobbling up a lot of other developers, there are a few developers I would like them to stay away from. Sure, go to Platinum. Sure, go to HAL. Sure, absolutely, go to Game Freak. But, you know, there are a couple developers that I just don't need to see Nintendo games published from. Uh, I, I don't need to see a Nintendo published Bubsy game. So, <laughs> so do stay away from UFO Interactive, please, Nintendo, if you ever decide to start doing that. Uh, actually, on the on the topic of UFOs, as a matter of fact, we uh, uh, it's uh, UFOs have been in our mind a little bit this week. Yesterday, as a matter of fact, was International UFO Day, Seth. It was. It absolutely it was, was. Indeed, yes. Now I understand where the whole correlation between. Uh, aliens and independence day came from from that 1996 classic but, you know what good yeah. call <laughs> yeah i just blew your mind didn't i a little bit yeah <laughs> but yes everybody of course remembers fourth of july weekend especially here in america but yes much less publicly known is the fact that july 2nd is international ufo day and we thought it would be the perfect time to talk about some of our friendly neighborhood extraterrestrials here on All In. As a matter of fact, talking about UFOs, the ships, the saucers, the vehicles themselves, we have put together a list of our favorites throughout the history of the Big and We are going to count down for you this week our top five UFOs in Nintendo history. So yeah, UFOs in Nintendo games. It's uh, so just quick disclaimer: we aren't talking about aliens specifically. Uh, we're not talking about video games with aliens in them. Turns out there are a lot of those. Yes, quite a few <laughs> aliens in video game history. Go figure. Yeah, we are specifically referring to unidentified flying objects, and the definition of that can be considered very broad. But we are we are dealing with UFOs in particular. Um, in this in this particular top five. If we had gone for aliens, that would have been a much easier list to put together. Much easier, but much broader. Although it turns out there are actually quite a few instances of uh, classic style UFOs showing up yeah. in Nintendo games. Honestly, a lot more than I thought, but uh, it seems like there's a lot of love out there for the 1950s and 60s era of classic sci-fi, that, that kind of golden age of... Uh, alien cinema, if you will, the the rise of the flying saucer as the iconic image of aliens. So turns out there's a lot of homages to that, a lot of references to that in Nintendo games. This was a, a pretty fun list to put together. Ironically enough, as much love as there is out there for UFOs, uh, you, you would think that somebody somewhere at some point on the internet would have kind of created some repository of UFO appearances in video games. But no, we actually had to do some down and dirty research. We had to cross-reference. We had, we had to actually do some work for this list. So, Internet, you are welcome <laughs> for creating this, this repository of UFO appearances and knowledge in the world of video games for you. 
Yes. Yeah. I mean, really, it, it, we had to do some little X-Files uh, detective work of our own, so to speak. Truth was indeed out there. <laughs> it was. It was. And we're bringing it to you right here, right now. I'm going to get us started with my number five, and that is the UFOs in Majora's Mask, the Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask. Okay. Uh, from the... This this is an interesting one because these UFOs are never technically seen, um, which is why it's not higher on my list. Anybody who has played Majora's Mask and anybody who has actually done a lot of the side missions, specifically the side mission that takes place on Romani Ranch, yep. is probably familiar with the instance. Uh, they, they're only referred to as them, but these alien creatures that come down and begin to kidnap the cows from Romani ranch. <laughs> and in this side mission, you can show up at night and as link kind of fend off the aliens, the, the them aliens uh, from taking these cows from Romani ranch. And even actually Romani herself, she, she can actually be kidnapped in that mission. If you, if you fail that mission, and she will like if you come back later. Like it seems, it's implied that they like lobotomize her and stuff like that. It's actually really dark. But what's interesting, even though we don't actually see the UFOs in that moment, um, we see the tractor beams and we see the cows being lifted up into the UFO. And I think that that actually kind of makes it a little more ominous. If we actually see, like, if we were to actually see those UFOs full stop, it could have been really interesting to see their take on that design, but it makes it kind of scarier that it's just this ethereal thing in the horizon ta taking these cows from Romani Ranch. So um, I, it's a really memorable side mission, of course, in one of my favorite games of all time. It's got like a dark undercurrent to it, just like many of the things in Majora's Mask. And, uh, and I, I think it's really interesting to flash forward to Breath of the Wild, where it, a lot of people don't know this, but if you mm -hmm. look at some of the concept art that's available in the uh, Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild art book, they actually at one time were going to include UFOs and aliens in Breath of the Wild. Yeah. Which is crazy. Yeah, it is. It is really, really, and obviously it was weird here because the Legend of Zelda is so rooted in more fantastical elements as opposed to more mm -hmm. sci-fi elements. You think of the Legend of Zelda, and you think of goblins and bows and arrows and magic and, and stuff like this. You don't think of ray guns and aliens and technology. I mean, the closest thing to to technology that we have is really the the ancient technology that showed up with the Sheikah Slate and the right. guardians but even that was treated as if it was more fantastical as if it was still rooted in more fantasy elements but no like there's some straight up ufos that they tried to put into breath of the wild and did wind up putting into majora's mask if you play majora's mask it is such a jarring departure from the rest of the game it's just so weird but uh, again like i said at the top of the list there's just a lot of love out there for that type of for that old golden era alien cinema type stuff mm -hmm. yeah it totally plays into that the whole notion that they're kidnapping the cows for like some reason i mean that's a tried and true thing with ufo fiction right so oh yes yeah. so we will be talking about that later oh yeah and, and that and that's totally just what this taps into and again even though that, the reason it's so low on my list and it's only at number five is because we don't physically see them but they are still very much 
out there in Majora's <laughs> Mask. So very nice. <laughs> well, for my number five, you don't actually get to abduct cows. As a matter of fact, there are enemy cows in my number five. Uh, my number five is the UFO, the broken UFO from Toe Jam and Earl. <laughs> yes. Got to find the pieces. Yep. And got to give them that funk. But <laughs> for those who haven't played Toe Jam and Earl, uh, the original, when it was brought to the virtual console or Toe Jam and Earl back in the groove on the Nintendo Switch, which you absolutely should and absolutely should check out our indie showcase from last year on it. The entire the entire crux of the narrative, the entire motivation behind playing Toe Jam and Earl uh, is the fact that they're looking, they're stranded on Earth. They crash landed there and their UFO broke up into 10 separate pieces. And the entire point of the game is to reconstruct your ship and get the heck out of Dodge. The game ends... The game immediately ends, goes into the ending cinematic once you collect the final piece of the ship. It's it's, right. the, it's the entire crux of the game. And the games themselves are incredibly unique. If you've never played Toe Jam and Earl or Toe Jam and Earl Back in the Groove, they are these isometric adventure games where you play as the eponymous Toe Jam and Earl aliens. You collect presents to give yourself special abilities. And it's just a really arcadey, fun style game. But yes, when we're talking about aliens and UFOs, it's a very tongue-in-cheek, very, uh, let's just say, not quite serious, not quite as dark as the Majora's Mask aliens and UFOs. Yeah, totally 90s. Yeah. yeah it's, it's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it's got a banging sound system, too. That's actually one of the pieces of the uh, the alien ship is the, the speakers. So I respect that. <laughs> I respect that, TJ and Earl. You got to give them that funk. You just absolutely absolutely have to. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love it. Well, we, uh, this is another one that, that I'll reference here for my number four. Uh, another one that calls back to a previous segment that we've had on our show. When we spoke about undersung Mario villains, uh, my number four is Tatanga's spaceship from super Mario land. We love Tatanga Mm -hmm. here on the show. Uh, a very underrated Mario villain, the villain of the Mario Land series. Um, and Tatanga is just this like little purple alien piloting a spacecraft, a UFO, and he invades Sarasa Land and captures Princess Daisy and literally invades that land, like a full-scale alien invasion. Um, so he he's kind of like a... It's funny. They've done a couple of different design styles with uh, Tatanga. In the comics, they try to make him more intimidating and stuff, but he's just kind of a goofy little dude. But his his actual UFO, his actual like spaceship design is really interesting. Um, and it, it kind of looks like a little capsule, like the Wily capsule almost. Kind of, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. With uh, with little like... They they almost look like little speakers on the side that, uh, that they fire from, <laughs> fires uh, projectiles from. And um, I'll just take any excuse, really, to shout out to Tenga. But he's, I mean, he is, I mean, an alien invader. He's actually referred to specifically in the uh, instruction manual as Tatanga the Mysterious Spaceman. Um, so, I mean, his his spacecraft is quite literally to the denizens of Sarasaland. Uh, the an unidentified flying object. So shout out to Tatanga. 
Yeah, the the Wiley capsule, as you mentioned, esque look of it with the two cannons on the side, very much gives mm-hmm. it that that classic Golden Age saucer uh, aesthetic. And you know, a lot of people, of course, know Tatanga mostly from his appearance as the final boss in Super Mario Land, but he does reappear in Super Mario Land Two: Six Golden Coins as the boss mm-hmm. of the Space Zone. So, uh, I. He actually showed up in our top five Mario enemies who need to come back. And yes. we really hope he does one day because he's an adorable little doobadnik. I, I could, I just, th- that's one of those characters, man. Like I, I said it then and I'll say it again now. Just, you could do something with that character. And we, we love UFOs, obviously. So it's like, hey, like UFOs are still relevant, man. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I mean, when we talked about this last time, I pitched uh, an alliance between. Princess Shroob and Tatanga. I thought that would be fantastic. Right. Yep. Uh, yep. Or, I don't know, maybe even an alliance between Tatanga and the Top Man tribe from Mario Galaxy. Because <laughs> uh, my number four, as a matter of fact, is the giant Princess Peach castle stealing UFO from Mario Galaxy. It's my favorite game of all time. I've made no secret about that whatsoever but it's so weird because at the very beginning of the game during the star festival obviously the exact same thing happens that happens in every mario game mario goes to see princess peach and then bowser shows up to ruin everybody's day with his shenanigans and winds up kidnapping the princess yet again however this time instead of just kidnapping the princess he straight up cuts Peach's castle out of the ground by using a, like just, just this random UFO appears out of nowhere and slices princess Peach's castle straight out of the ground using these, using these lasers on the bottom of the spacecraft. It's so bizarre. I guess I've seen a couple conflicting reports on this, but I guess the UFO, because a couple do a couple more do show up throughout the course of the game. There are a couple galaxies right. where you do see similarly stylized UFOs. The game doesn't, you know, the game doesn't point them out nearly as much as in that opening cinematic. But you got the Battle Rock Galaxy, and you got uh, a couple show up in the Melty Molten. That's hard to say. Galaxy. Yeah, I think they are supposed to be ships of the 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 Top Man enemies because there are i think star springs or star shrooms or something like that is that what they're called but there are these these top style enemies these alien-esque top style enemies in the mario galaxy games that you can bounce off of and there's even a couple boss versions of those and you fight a couple of those boss battles on top of ufos within that game so i guess that those ufos are supposed to belong to this race of weird springy mechanical creatures but i mean even the the top men themselves even look like ufos you know yeah so maybe uh, maybe it's all connected maybe the truth really is out there but yeah absolutely let's have a let's have an alliance super mario galaxy 3 an alliance between tatanga princess shroob and the top man tribe with all their ufos make it happen That'd be amazing Nintendo. That, that would be amazing. There there was actually significant rumors, I remember, like leading up to Mario Galaxy that Tatanga was going to play a role. And um, yeah, I mean, I could totally, that'd be awesome to have all these like UFO characters, like 
convening in space. That'd be it, great. It would make sense, wouldn't it? Totally would. Totally would. I want to see more <laughs> of this Mario lore come to fruition. <laughs> or even have a Rosalina spinoff game where, where the same weird alien unholy alliance happens. I, let me play as my girl Rosalina in a, in a core <laughs> adventure experience. That'd be cool. I'd be down for that. Also, just shout outs to like that UFO specifically in the beginning of the game. That's an image that stays with you, man. It's just so weird. Like you don't forget that. Absolutely. Well, coming coming into my number three, it's not uh, it's not going to be the kind of thing where we can extract a lot of deep lore from it. It's it's more of a uh, it's it's more of a thing that I just personally love. Everybody knows at this point. I love WarioWare, right? <laughs> And when we're talking about UFOs and we're talking about WarioWare, we can only be talking about the Oinker, Orbulon (laughs) spaceship. I I mean, yeah, that's fair enough. (laughs) It is a pig looking spaceship that the Orbulon character, who is just this really cool, like white alien, kind of blobby looking alien with big old sunglasses. Um, I, I love that character so much, but he really kind of plays like his, his games are really fun and he typically pops up kind of towards the end. So they tend to be some of the more challenging mini games, um, which I really like. But Orbulon kind of comes in like, I guess, story wise, such as it is, he he just kind of pops in, which is really fun. Like he, he always comes in at inconvenient times. His ship is constantly crashing. Um his his space bunny pilots are like so inept it's uh it's it's really funny um but yeah like you see the the oinker pop up several times during many of the mini games like batting practice when you score five home runs the uh, orbulon will briefly kind of pop up in the oinker mm-hmm. um th- throughout the course of the series you know the the oinker kind of has been been a mainstay all the way up through you know, the most recent release of WarioWare Gold, and we can assume that when WarioWare Get It Together comes out, we will uh, continue to see Orbulon flying around in his oinker. So, again, I, I don't I don't have a lot of uh, deep lore to get into with it, but I do just I do just love WarioWare, and I do love seeing <laughs> Orbulon flying around his little his little strange piggy spacecraft. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I will be very interested to see what Orbulon plays like in Get It Together because they are making a big thing about how unique they do want to try to make all the characters in Get It Together. Yeah, I mean, maybe the Oinker plays a role in that, in, in the way that uh, you know his, his sort of character gimmick or gameplay hook. Very possibly, but going into my number three, we're just talking about one of the most iconic characters in the history of Nintendo themselves because this character actually has a power-up where they become... A UFO. My number three is the UFO power-up for Kirby. Mm-hmm. And not only because the UFO in this case is one of Nintendo's most iconic characters, but because the UFO power-up itself is arguably among the most exclusive power-ups in the series. The few times that it has shown up in the series dating back to Kirby's adventure on the NES, the few times that it has shown up, it's always been treated as much more exclusive than the other power-ups. You know, there's some really great, really iconic power-ups in Kirby history. You talk about the sword and fire and ice and even some of the newer, more unique ones like Beetle. I love Beetle. Uh, But... Oh, yeah. 
But the UFO power-up has always been treated like it was special, even among the rest of Kirby's power-ups. The UFO power-up is just super, super cool. Like I said, it dates back to Kirby's adventure back on the original Nintendo, and it's made sporadic appearances throughout the course of the series. It's in It shows up, of course, in the Kirby's Adventure remake, Nightmare in Dreamland. It shows up in Amazing Mirror, I believe, and it even shows up in a playable sense in Planet Robobot, which makes sense because the entire gimmick of that game was you know alien machines and technology so right uh didn't show up in star allies unfortunately but i do hope that it makes an appearance in the next kirby game because i'm i don't know if it's the most powerful kirby power-up it does give you basically full-on flight not like kirby really ever had a problem with that, but the UFO power-up basically just turns Kirby into like a flying saucer. Like you're not even running or jumping at that point. You're just constantly flying and shooting lasers and beams. And I think in Planet Robobot, he even has a tractor beam. He can even beam up characters and enemies. So it's it's just Mm -hmm. wonderful. And just yet another throwback to that golden era of alien cinema that I've mentioned a couple times already. It's so cool. If you've never actually tried the Kirby power up in a Kirby game, I recommend trying to find a way to, uh, to unleash the inner alien of Kirby. I actually, I guess Kirby's already an alien. Yeah, that's true. Planet pop star, you know, it's, it's, I guess it's technically an alien planet from a certain point of view. (laughs) Well, as we head into number two, this is actually a shared one. Yes, it is. This is one that we actually thought this was this was such an awesome entry. We we couldn't we couldn't resist both having it on our list <laughs> because the ultimate kind of UFO power fantasy is when you can actually take control of the saucer in the destroy all humans games. <laughs> it's so great. I've I have made mention a couple times of throwbacks of homages to that old 1950s and 1960s era alien sci-fi stuff but Mm -hmm. destroy all humans is that entire concept distilled into a full video game yeah i mean it really is i mean destroy all humans is like you're playing as this character crypto who is the quintessential you know alien gray man with the big gray head and the big bulbous eyes and stuff like that it's it's totally that but when you you know the the flying saucer itself is sort of the hub for all of the goings on for crypto which makes sense he is an alien after all mm-hmm. but when you actually take control of the saucer in the game it is just i mean power fantasy really is the best word for it like all the weapons the like the death ray and stuff that you have with it it is just incredibly satisfying to you know destroy all humans (laughs) (laughs) and just all the different weird things that you can do in that game that all those stereotypically alien things that you can do in that game like probe humans and take over their mind and then of course there are the cows Mm -hmm. another callback to the cow abduction (laughs) the the things the ragdoll things that you can do with cows when you're sitting inside your UFO are just so wonderfully over the top and hilarious. It's just such crypto is such a terrible character in the best way. And uh, again, it's just, if you've ever enjoyed that old cheesy sci-fi 
If you've ever enjoyed those old sci-fi B movies, you absolutely owe it to yourself to play Destroy All Humans. They recently remastered it on the Nintendo Switch, of course. However, if you own a Wii, somehow, the Wii got an exclusive (laughs) Destroy All Humans game somehow. I'm not sure how that happened, but yeah, Destroy All Humans Big Willy style, where it actually shows Crypto running from a Frisch's Big Boy on the cover that is exactly what i thought of when i saw that it, it looks like the like the big boy like just shooting laser beams out of his eyes it's like what's going on <laughs> like something that dr evil would be so proud of <laughs> right so strange but yeah i mean that was a wii exclusive game obviously the uh the the recent remake um just came out on switch like literally yeah. what a week or two ago something so. like that yeah so, I mean, it's definitely the time. If you've never played Destroy All Humans, definitely the right time to jump into the series. And just going into a couple honorable mentions before we get to our individual number ones. Another reason that UFOs have kind of been on our mind recently is the fact that Fortnite has recently begun a huge UFO alien-themed event inside their universe. It's currently going on right now. I, I honestly wonder if they did it I doubt it, but I do wonder if they did it to coincide with UFO Day because it does feel like it's kind of building to a crescendo at this point. But yes, if you're a Fortnite right. player, you are probably all up in the UFO-ness right now. And if you're not, maybe check it out. If you're interested in aliens and UFOs, maybe check out Fortnite right now. Also, Loki is in it now, so yay. <laughs> well, I'll shout out from the Earthbound series, the... I mean, really, UFOs in general and Earthbound. I mean, I would be, I would be remiss. Our buddy Sam, third strongest mole, would would eviscerate us if we did not mention <laughs> UFOs and Earthbound. Uh, so, yes, uh, the little UFOs that are uh, that are first encountered in Peaceful Rest Valley um, that you can find as enemies, uh, which are obviously UFOs just on the face of it, but also when you're talking about the representation of like the foresight stage in that first appeared in smash brothers melee, mm-hmm. like you got the UFO there. It actually straight up, like you unlock the trophy. When you unlock that stage in melee, you get the trophy that has the UFO in it. So, I mean, UFOs and earthbound are kind of interlinked. Yeah. The UFO platform in foresight is a pretty major part of that stage. It's the main, it's the main gimmick of the stage. And yeah. Just as a matter of fact, specifically for World UFO Day, I decided to to cross pollinate some of what we were doing this week. I actually played as Kazuya a few times on the Foresight stage this past week, <laughs> and there's I love it. And it's not just the Foresight stage; the Magicent stage from True. from Earthbound in Super Smash Brothers also features a UFO that you can push through the bottom of the stage in wonderfully hilarious form. So Earthbound, very, very tight with with the old school stylings of science fiction and aliens. Which makes perfect sense, because, I mean, Earthbound... I mean, Earthbound is is all about that, right? That That is so, like, intrinsic to just the, the vibes of Earthbound. So it makes perfect sense that the uh, the UFOs would be very, very present. And another game that UFOs are present in, in it's not an iconic nintendo franchise but 2k recently did decide to bring their incredibly grueling incredibly uh hardcore tactical shooter to nintendo consoles recently when they did a massive game dump 
last year. We got XCOM. And with all the B-grade alien goodness going on in XCOM, there are a few appearances of UFOs. Uh, especially, uh, we'll shout out the the mission, what was it? The Ave- Avenger Defense, originally part of the XCOM 2 DLC. That's part of the XCOM collection that they released on the Nintendo Switch that comes with the game and all of its parts. So yeah, a lot of, a lot of alien games, a lot of good alien games on the Switch to play this weekend. You know, if you, if you don't have any money for fireworks this 4th of July weekend, maybe you can, maybe UFOs are the next best thing. <laughs> I'll shout out one more before we get into our respective number ones from the wonderful 101. This one kind of occurred to me at the zero hours, like, wait a minute. I could have sworn there was an enemy in the wonderful 101 that's based on a UFO or a battle that takes place on the UFO. And sure enough, the brain blast. Yes. The notorious <laughs> enemy as it's called um, in the wonderful 101 is a UFO ostensibly. And yeah, you have an entire boss fight that takes place on the surface of a UFO. And um, yeah, it, it kind of makes for a cool set piece in that game. Of course, the Wonderful 101 was a Wii U game that has now been ported to basically everything, including Switch. And um, I definitely recommend the the new version of the Wonderful 101. Definitely the definitive version of that game. You said Brain Blast? It brain Blast, yeah. I think Jimmy Neutron would like to have a word with that. <laughs> Maybe I need to pay some royalties to a Nickelodeon for that one or yeah. something. But <laughs> and uh, actually, one one last one real quick. Just one last one real quick. Uh, while doing research, turns out there's an arcade style point chaser on the Nintendo Switch eShop called "They Came from the Sky," where you oh right, where you literally play as a UFO. So uh, we certainly didn't feel like that deserved to be in our top five. But uh, interesting that there's a game out there on the Nintendo Switch eShop where you get to play as a UFO. Nice little fun. Well. Nice little arcade point chaser. Word is out uh, on whether or not it is fun. Maybe if Seth and I ever get around to playing it this weekend, you know what? Maybe for maybe for World UFO Day, maybe I'll just drop the five dollars on it and, and check it out this weekend. Who knows? And get back to uh, all of you on whether or not it is indeed fun. We will see. There you go. There you go. Definitely. Well, going into my number one, it's funny you mentioned that because my number one is a game available on the Nintendo Switch eShop is a game that I can confirm is fun. And despite everything, despite <laughs> all of my, my kind of storied history with this game, my number one really couldn't be anything other than Jobski, the playable UFO of part-time UFO. Despite how much the entire presence of part-time mm-hmm. UFO just <laughs> triggers your frustration about Zelda's 35th anniversary, right? It really does. Because for, for those who are maybe new listeners to the show, um, of course, I'm not bitter at all at the fact that Nintendo did not uh, acknowledge Zelda's 35th anniversary back in February. Not at all bitter, especially not bitter that they tweeted about part-time UFO about 16 times that day instead, and (laughs) still tweet about part-time UFO really consistently. It's actually really strange. And I do really like part-time UFO. My wife and I played through that entire game together. Very enjoyable game from Hal. I really like that game a lot. And of course, I mean, this is a very fun, like co-op game that you can play on Switch, wherein you play as a UFO or two UFOs. And it's it's just really pleasant. Like that game in general is really good. And it, it's it's something that I'd like to cover a little bit more deeply, maybe on Keep Nintendo Weird at some point. But um, yeah, I mean, part-time UFO, the 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 Nintendo game 
where you play as a UFO kind of had to be my de facto number one, um, despite everything. <laughs> and you know you gotta you gotta lean into the inside joke a little bit, but that that really didn't factor into me choosing it for number one. Jobski is just an adorable little UFO character. What's interesting about Jobski, and you see this in a lot of the the UFOs that even we've shouted out in this list, there are distinctly two different kind of styles of UFO, and it's actually interesting if you look into it. But Jobski and UFO Kirby, they represent the Japanese style of UFO with the kind of like three orbs like on the underside of them um same thing with uh the mario galaxy ufos so i mean yeah so it's it's kind of interesting to see the american version of the ufo is kind of the flying saucer whereas the japanese is kind of the more cute more bulbous i suppose take on a ufo <laughs> and so i i find that kind of interesting and that's exactly what job ski is so that that had to be my number one you know what i i still really need to get around to playing that game i really do because I, I know it's fun it's from hal laboratory and i know it's got a lot of kirby references and everything in it but even it, a little box boy reference in there uh, yeah of course i love box boy great little puzzle platformer series go play box boy but for my number one if we're talking about ufos in video games and i you know at my number one you, you can't really have anything but one of the most iconic game releases of all time. And there are so many instances of aliens in video games, more than we could probably ever even quantify on this show. However, you could very, very much argue that no genre, no other genre is maybe more so intrinsically linked to aliens than the shoot 'em up genre. I mean, yeah. I mean, the, the, everything. I mean, we talked about our type final two recently. Exactly. Yeah. It just feels like every shoot 'em up is the exact same game, just reskinned in a slightly different way. You've got Gradius, Galaxian, R type, Defender, uh, Raiden Trad, and Ikaruga, and the list goes on and on and on. If you think of a shooter, I mean, you have to go out of your way for something like Pocky and Rocky to think of a shoot 'em up that doesn't have some space fighter shooting down space aliens in UFO style spaceships. And one of the biggest reasons for that is the OG shoot 'em up that paved the way for all that came after it. My number one is the UFO from space invaders. I mean, just one of the greatest games of all time, full stop. Yeah. One of the greatest, one of the most influential, one of the most pioneering, one of the most insert superlative here games of all time. They did a, a really great piece on Space Invaders back on High Score on Netflix. So right. do check that out. They uh, The guy that actually created Space Invaders still has his old notebook with a lot of his old original designs oh, that was so cool. for the game. It was so great. I thought, man, just two, just two minutes alone with that book. Just two minutes right. alone with that absolute artifact of gaming history. But yes, if you've never played any version of Space Invaders, yes, obviously the gameplay is quite a bit dated now, but it is impossible to it is impossible to understate the impact that game has had on the industry, regardless of how much the shoot 'em up genre has kind of fallen off in recent years. The early days of the video game landscape was really helped formed by space invaders and obviously a lot of the the vast majority of the enemies that you're going to be fighting in space invaders are the eponymous aliens themselves however everybody who's ever played the game knows that the ufo 
enemy in the game is the bonus, the secret, the high scoring. That's the one you really want to get. It's the special enemy that shows up every so often and flies across the screen. And you have precious seconds to try to shoot that UFO down. And it's one of the most iconic enemies in video game history. So when we're talking about the greatest UFOs in Nintendo history, my number one was already chosen. It really was. Uh, And as a matter of fact, there is a Space Invaders collection on the Nintendo Switch. Space Invaders Forever. It's it's not the original game. It's very much the Pac-Man Championship Edition. Yes, exactly what I was going to say. Yeah, it's it's very much the Pac-Man Championship Edition stylized remake. They took essentially the core of Space Invaders and very much kind of brought it into uh, the new generation, the new uh, century of video games, much like they did with Pac-Man Championship Edition. So do check out Space Invaders Forever. It's a collection of Space Invaders Extreme, Space Invaders Gigamax 4 Special Edition, and Arkanoid versus Space Invaders. So a great way to experience an all-time classic. And if somehow you ever find yourself at an arcade, uh, younger gamers, go ahead and Google that. But uh, (laughs) if you ever find yourself at an arcade, uh, there are still a couple Space Invaders machines out in the wild. And if you consider yourself a gamer, that's kind of a bucket list, kind of a required reading moment is to play a Space Invaders arcade machine if you're ever able to. It's just, again, I've said it before, but all-time classic. There was a, just before we wrap up, really, really quick anecdote. I went to a birthday party for one of my younger siblings when my, my little sister was literally like six years old, charitably. And it was happening at a Chuck E. Cheese and they happened to have a Space Invaders cabinet there. And it was just, you know, it had to be done. I had to set the high score on the thing. Oh, of course. I mean, you, you see it and it's practically a challenge just waiting to be met. And again, just so many different shoot-em-ups that have come since Space Invaders. Even, you know, going outside of shoot-em-up adjacent games like Missile Command. I mean, Galaga, Galaxian, Defender, Gradius, R-Type, uh, Axley, and Earth Defense Force. At least, you know, Mm -hmm. Super Earth Defense Force from the Super Nintendo. Very much would like an Earth Defense Force game on the Nintendo Switch. There should be one coming to Japan soon later this year. Would very much like a localized port of that. Yes, please and thank you. Right. But we've gone on enough, I think, about UFOs and their weirdly uh, saturated presence in video game history. But what about you guys? What are your favorite UFOs, unidentified flying objects in Nintendo history? Reach out to us on Facebook and Twitter and let us know. We would definitely love to hear from you. We, you know, there's a chance that we might have even missed a couple ourselves. Absolutely let us know how wrong we were if we did. Well, man, we've talked about UFOs and even aliens that pilot UFOs, but what about alien worlds, Eric? Mm. (laughs) What about otherworldly alien planets? Planets like Nexus, which is the setting of Death Trash. Uh, Death Trash, of course, is a game that I talked about a little bit last week on the show when I played the demo during Steam Next Fest over on our YouTube channel. Definitely go check that out if you haven't already. 
And as I said, I absolutely fell in love with the game. So in our indie showcase this week, we are actually speaking with one of the two developers behind the game. So let's welcome our very special guest, Mr. Christian Hoyser, to the show right now. Dear listeners, we are super excited to be hanging out with our very special guest this week. He's one of the co-developers at Crafting Legends working on Death Trash, and he's here to talk all about the game with us here on All N. Please welcome to the show right now, Mr. Christian Hoyser. Yay! Yay! Hello! (laughs) (laughs) Hello, sir. How you doing? I'm great. Like... Yeah, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> well, great. Thank you so much for joining us uh, here on All In today to talk about Death Trash. It's a game that obviously Seth played the demo for on Steam Next Fest, and it's a game that we are very much looking forward to coming to the Nintendo Switch here, uh, hopefully uh, sometime later on this year. You think that's possible? Uh, not not this year. Next year is... Like, it comes... We, we want to come out with it on the 1.0 release. Uh-huh. And- right. This, this year, we will start with the early access on PC, and once we reach 1.0, which is hopefully next year, mm-hmm. then it will come to Nintendo Switch and everywhere else, too. Awesome, awesome. And uh, for those out there who might not know what this game is yet, especially Nintendo Switch owners, uh, what? how would you describe Death Trash? Death Trash is a pixel art RPG very inspired by the old school pixel art RPGs from the 90s, early 2000s. Um, there's some of the, uh, lots of people compare it to Fallout mm-hmm. 1 and 2. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's got, but but it's uh, with real-time combat, it's got modern mechanics and a personality of its own. Definitely. That was definitely something. I, like I said, guys, I, I played this game during the Steam Next Fest demo and and fell immediately in love with it. And while it does, I mean, you're, you're totally right. Like the, the Fallout comparisons, things like Wasteland and those old school kind of isometric RPGs, computer RPGs are, are definitely in there. The game certainly has that, th- that kind of flavor to it, but it has its own unique flavor as well. I mean, were, were there any other things that sort of jump out to you as inspiration for like the world, the story, the design approach for Death Trash. It does there are it does also feel like there's a little Lovecraftian influence in there oh, as totally. well. Totally. Totally. Oh God. Uh, there, there's so <laughs> much stuff in there. Um it, it it's kind of hard for me to 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 pick specific other games. It's more like it, it's picking on just the general ideas of so many sci-fi themes and other mm-hmm. other stuff games do. Like uh, the controls are obviously every way you can control a game you can use in Death Trash. Okay. And yeah, like it works with controller. It works just like a point. And, you can play it like a point and click game. You can play it with a controller. You can play it like a hack and slash, uh, hack and slay games, a la Diablo. Diablo is another comparison many people take. Sure. Um, yeah. Uh, it's it's like hard to pinpoint uh, <laughs> specifics. Specifics, and it's also when developing a game, I'm not like, oh, this this thing was a good idea in that game, so I'm gonna do this. It's more like, right. I I see some interesting mechanics somewhere, and I think that maybe like it, it's on the back burner. Then, and at some point, I develop something for the game and think like, oh, right. This other game I played has this too in a way. Mm. 
I think we're explicitly not trying to copy other games. <laughs> definitely not. It's definitely Death Trash is is one of the most unique games of this type I've certainly ever played. Kind of the like the world of it, the world is called Nexus, I believe, right? Yes. And it, it is so just just unique. It's like this kind of yeah, Lovecraftian um, sort of influence maybe in there. It's like a world seemingly made of flesh. It's got this kind of again mature content rating folks like it is definitely an m-rated game it's got like just this i don't know like this brooding ominous undertone to the whole thing it's it's very effective like especially in the sound design that was one of the things i noticed when i was playing the game it, the, the entire it's, there's almost like this low hum to the whole thing like there's something just bubbling beneath the surface that was really impressive to me uh really effective stuff um we we've kind of seen games of this type making their way to the switch now kind of you could argue with varying degrees of success but uh death trash has already been in the pipeline for a long time i know we were speaking uh before we hit the record button that you're you're sort of newer to the project but has it been challenging to kind of translate a traditional pc experience like this to something like the nintendo switch i have to admit that was done before i entered the project ah <laughs> like i came gotcha. to gotcha I came to it last year. The game was mainly developed by Stefan Hövelbrings. Six years ago, he started. And yes. one of the key points he, he wants to do is that everybody should be able to play the game on the platform they want. Like you, could, you should be able to buy it in, on every online store you want. You should be play, able to play it on the Switch, on the Xbox, whatever. So all the controls and intricacies of the Nintendo Switch were basically already implemented the one thing which i did work on partly is optimization because this the cpu of a switch is not on the same level as the cpu of a gaming pc so right that's we, fair we're, we're tweaking tweaking here and there to get like the frame rate on on to, the, to keep the frame rate on the track and so it doesn't stutter or doesn't crash for whatever reason so that's some parts of it what some parts of the things i did but really main the main nintendo switch stuff i didn't put a finger on <laughs> that's fair are, are you guys really happy with the progress on that front so far and in the, in the way it's like running and feeling on the nintendo switch does it feel just as good as it does on pc i have to test it again uh i, I played it last time like two months ago and it's it's quite good. It's it's really uh, flowing. Yeah, the flow's there. Like it, it plays really well. Love it. Uh, it's it's got some memory errors, so I need to go into it again. But we have with the demo and the E three last month so much stuff on the hand that I didn't oh, get yeah. to finish that part <laughs> yet. Yeah. Yeah. Busy times for sure. What's that? What's that experience been like for you guys? Because that that demo, obviously, um, as we've touched on, was featured during Steam Next Fest, generated a ton of buzz, a lot of electricity going around Death Trash right now, and you guys recently announced that that demo is now a kind of permanent fixture on Steam. Was the the feedback from the demo has that kind of impacted development for you guys, or like provided good data for you moving forward? Oh God, it's it's been <laughs> so much stuff. Um, it, it, it's it's so weird because we were expecting that stuff would come in. We were expecting that we would get feedback and that mm -hmm. we would have a lot of work to do. 
But I want to say the last two weeks were the most unproductive I've ever been on the project because I just <laughs> didn't know what I want to do now. What should I do next? Where should I sit on? And I was like reading all the articles. I tried to watch every stream, every YouTube video made on Death Trash. So I did get really little work done. <laughs> Well, uh, yeah, but a lot of the feedback we got was in an expected uh, framing, right? Like we, we were expecting that what some people would like, what some people wouldn't like, what would come in. Uh, I was a bit surprised by how many people went went directly into the murder hobo route. <laughs> <laughs> trying just, just like, okay, I played the game. Now it's time to kill everybody. Uh, yeah. It, it it took like three three or four hours after after we went after the demo went public. The first people came in with yeah, I went and killed everybody. It works. <laughs> <laughs> Just, yeah. uh, well, that that's gamers for you. Yeah, right. Yeah, gamers just want to blow stuff up, right? I, You know, that actually leads in really well to a question. I had a very specific question about the game uh, while I was playing it. And uh, we, we have that video up on our YouTube channel right now. But um, as I was playing the demo, I noticed, and, and I, I, be, I was wondering kind of aloud if this was intentional, but I noticed that as my character kind of had to kill enemies, she would occasionally have little bits of dialogue pop up, like she was kind of remorseful about what she was having to do. And then it occurred to me that, oh, hey, maybe this is happening because I had allocated points into empathy. So... I was kind of wondering, like, is, is that the case? Like, was was my character saying things like that because she was empathetic? And if so, are there kind of other examples of unique things like that that are based around the way the player chooses to build their character? Not yet. <laughs> um, <laughs> the character just has things they say, and that's currently not based on the stats they have. Okay. Okay. Uh, at all. Um, also, there are some NPC barks. You have these NPCs which are just rangers with with no name. Mm -hmm, and when right. you talk to them, they also have a random sentence they say that's also not based on anything currently. That's mainly because we have the stats and we have the entire system which can react to these stats. We just haven't gotten around on implementing it fully yet. Uh, gotcha. Like making the content for it. We have we have. Every everything works now. We just have to make the content for it. Ah, gotcha. Got and speaking of content, obviously, you know, with, with types of games like this, um, you know, these types of games feel like they should be a little bit more than uh, two or three hours long. Do you know about how long of an experience uh, Death Trash is going to wind up becoming? We are aiming for twenty hours. Twenty hours. Nice. Okay. Okay. Uh, Very cool. Solid. Yeah. Yeah. So right right now the full game is around five hours, five to eight hours, depending on playstyle and how how careful you are with everything. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're going for with the early access, and that's our job for the next for the year until uh, Nintendo Switch release comes, is making <laughs> these twenty hours happen. <laughs> gotcha. How, so the um. The early access demo being in place, of course, um, you you have a lot to cover just even in that demo, even in the scope of that demo. Like, it, it really felt like there was a lot of things that even I played it for an hour and a half and I felt like I was only scratching the surface. I mean, 
is this game can we expect to see like just a ton of side missions and like the the map seems like it's huge and even what we see in the demo like possibly even more than we even see in there it, it, it kind of seems like the kind of game that that can be fairly deep that, that's actually one of the questions i have myself because i don't know where <laughs> we'll end up with because yeah up until now a lot of it was making the systems happen and mm-hmm. We have the stories we want to tell. We have some of the side quests we want to make. We have we have like the main points. But how exactly it will turn out in the end, I really can't tell yet. I really don't, because I don't know it. It's not like I want to keep it a secret. I want to keep the main story a secret, like no spoilers here. Of but course, of course. Of course. But, but uh, I really don't know how it's going to play out until the end. Will we hit these 20 hours? Will we end up with 30 I really don't know. I mean, hey, that it, it reminds us of, uh, you know, that, I mean, that's how art's made, right? You know, you don't necessarily yeah. know. You can sit down at the canvas and you can have your paints prepared, but you don't necessarily know what you're going to end up painting, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I, I love it. I love it. I'm, we're really looking forward to it. Can we expect the, uh, speaking of the Nintendo Switch version of the game, can we expect it to kind of take advantage of Switch exclusive functionality, like things like touchscreen support and HD rumble? Touchscreen, probably not. Uh, Rumble, I don't want to promise it, but it seems plausible enough. Gotcha. Very cool. We 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 like it. Um, I mean, obviously, the the switch with the HD Rumble and stuff like that, it can really you know increase the immersiveness. I get the whole time I was playing it on PC, I was like, oh man, they could do some really cool things with the HD Rumble. I could just imagine like feeling the world like kind of rumbling, you know, underneath your hands. Yeah. So. Definitely would be cool to see. Uh, Another thing I wanted to point to is that the game actually offers co-op play, which I found really interesting. It didn't strike me initially as the kind of game that would. So is that going to be available in the Switch version? And and how does it kind of work? Should work the same as on PC, as far as I'm aware. Again, again, it's one of the parts I didn't touch a lot. Um, The the co-op is interesting because that was also one of the things we implemented or Stefan implemented over the years and we never really tested it until at the beginning of the years we got uh, like 50 beta testers to play the game and they told us hey the co-op works so now it's just there (laughs) (laughs) that's fair that's fair yeah and it, it just it it is there and it works and as far as as far as I know as far as I can tell it should be the same on the Switch like you should be able to just use two controllers on the Switch and it should work. In terms of a lot of the stuff that you've uh, that you've worked on specifically on the game yourself, what would you say you think you're most proud of in terms of uh, the systems in the game that are coming along that are really uh, that are really coming together maybe even better than you thought? It's okay. The the one I'm most proud of is a. Is a really tiny detail. Ah, um, fair enough. It's it's um, it's 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 the tentacles which are everywhere. I don't know if you've. I don't know how actively people see those tentacles. There are uh, on the, on the E3 trailer we have at the end this this scene where the tentacles grow towards the player, and mm. then the title card drops. Uh, there are tentacles all over the world, and. One thing I'm the one thing I made is we built them in a way that they can be fully animated, moving everywhere while still remaining in this pixel art style, fitting to death trash. And I think I spent a good three weeks 
that we can have this, that we have to draw one tentacle somewhere. We have to animate one tentacle and we can make whatever we want with it. Like we can, we can have tentacles all over the game if we want to. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's like such a tiny thing, but, but I, I believe, like I noticed some streamers noticed it, like are these tentacles actually moving? Did we actually go through the trouble of animating full tentacles? And the answer is, Kind of, we made one and the others are generated. And that's the work I did. And I really love that I did it. <laughs> yeah. I love it. There's there's all kinds of little details like that in the game where like one of the things I notated when I was playing, I was like, oh man, I really like the effect of when you go into a building and there's a really satisfying kind of wipe where you can kind of see like the the interior of the building that you're entering. Little details like that, I really, yeah. I really appreciate about the game. Yeah, that's that's one of the great things of working completely independently, just the two of us together here, because I feel like if this was a high budget studio production or if we were a funded production from a, somewhere, somebody would say, "Hey, we need you to go faster," and now we, because we are like we're doing this on our own we can just say i'll take i'll take my time to do this little detail the way i want it yeah right. i mean that's just been such a hot issue within the industry over especially over the past year especially over the course of the pandemic is this entire idea of crunch and a lot of the big studios like you were just yeah. talking about christian have come under fire for for overworking a lot of their developers and a lot of their employees and we certainly don't want that to happen to anybody so it is nice to see that people are taking their time and they're not feeling like they're being rushed and they're not feeling like they're yeah. having to do more than you know than is feasible at any given time because that's i really feel like that's the type of environment where a game can really fall apart you know if we have to, if we have to wait for it a little while longer to make sure that everything is right that you guys are happy with everything we are more than happy to do that well we i enjoy working in this way like I, I I love it's actually lots of people waiting for the game are telling us this thing that like where uh, I mean I think the game was initially announced for beginning of 2020 mm -hmm. like the, the the early access would come out last year uh, in spring and we we constantly moved it back and back and back and now this August we're finally ready and every time we moved it back there were there was surprisingly little disappointment and almost no salty people about it which doesn't doesn't fit to my knowledge of how the internet works <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well well once death trash finally gets released and you know you have a million loyal loving fans then that's immediately all going to change from you know, take your time, guys. We understand, too. I need Death Trash 2. Why haven't you guys already finished it yet? Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, we will, we will see, but yeah. Yeah, that's that's definitely going to be the, the next question as soon as the game releases, right? I think it currently slated the early access is August 5th. Is that, yes. is that currently the, the date? That's, that's the current early access release date. Gotcha. Guys, so we're right around the corner from that. That's exciting. And then we're uh, looking forward to seeing how that progresses over the next year or so for the 1.0 general release. Um, yeah, I, I really like kind of what we're what we're seeing there. Um, 
do you guys, I mean, I know you've already kind of touched on the, um, the ETA being sometime next year for the switch. Uh, can we kind of expect to see like a, a ramp up maybe on the Nintendo switch eShop? Is it possible for you guys to maybe make this demo available to Nintendo switch players at some point? We're still trying to, to figure out how, how to communicate with Nintendo about these things. Um, right. That's fair. Uh, we actually want to make this demo available on the Nintendo because like uh, it, it's, it's been good for us here with the Steam Next Festival. We also were on Xbox and it was just going through the moves of pub, uh, publicizing. What's the right word? Yeah, yeah. Publish, pub, publicating, publicizing a game on the platform for the first time. I mean, we we both like Stefan too. Never did such a big game, right? And, right. And it was just like the first time going through all the steps of making the publication somewhere, learning how how to do it right. Was an experience. Was a learning for us too. Right now, with all these things, and we don't know how Nintendo works fully. Like. We we have the the documents and so we can read it up and do it, but going through it once before the full release would actually be quite practical. <laughs> and yeah. also, it's and also it's fair for all players that, uh, like like from a moral standpoint, for all players to have a demo they can play before they buy the product, especially in a case with, with like Death Trash where I can fully understand anybody who doesn't like it. It's it's so unique. I mean, hey, you, it's not necessarily like, hey, uh, Mr. Doug Bowser, here's the flesh kraken. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's, it's a very unique kind of experience. Um, can, can I ask you, do, are you familiar with the origins of the name? That's It's such a unique name. Do you, do you know, have any insight about where the name Death Trash kind of comes from? That's from Stefan's wife. I don't know more about this. <laughs> gotcha. Okay. But, uh, it was his wife came up with the name and it just fits so well that why shouldn't it be Death Trash? <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. Think it, it wasn't some situation to where she was frustrated at him for always working, never being at home, always working on this terrible piece of Death Trash, is it? <laughs> I, I doubt it. She, she's very supportive. She, Great, she, that's awesome. She, 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 she's helping us out. Like, she's testing the game, giving her opinions. It's always good to have supportive families and supportive, you know, support structure around you when you're trying to undertake these. Because, I mean, has it really hit you yet that you're helping to create something that's going to be experienced and played by people all over the world? I don't know. <laughs> um, again, it's it's like I'm still figuring out where I am. Actually, like mm-hmm. uh, I, I, as I said, I'm watching all the streams, all the YouTube videos, or I'm trying to. I, I can't manage; it's too much by now. But every time I get to it, I start tearing up again a bit. Oh, like yeah, it's an emotional thing. I mean, you're putting your art out there into the world. You know, definitely. What what would you say in in terms of some of your favorite things that players have noticed? You know, with, with the exception of like oh, like they're they're just running out and they're out to kill everything and be murder hobos. What 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 out of all this, you know, kind of demo gameplay and stuff that you've uh, that you've taken in? What what are some of your highlights? What are some of your favorite things that people have noticed? I love the the this was at the beginning when Death Trash was just starting to take off in the streams. 
uh, whenever people were getting to the flesh kraken, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. and he wanted friends. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> the yeah. chats were always exploding. <laughs> like like ev- everybody was like, "Yes, friends now," <laughs> and that, that's that's wonderful. Um, just reading uh, reading the positivity going through, and the people, lots of people put points into animalism. The animalism skill, mm-hmm. not knowing what it what it does, but like I think three quarters, if not more, put like two or three point two points into animalism, and then they start picking up flesh worms. That they're like, okay, I have no idea what I can do with him. Guilty, it's mine now. That, that was me. <laughs> yes, yeah, that was one hundred percent me. I had no idea what was going on, but I was like, hey. I can pick up this flesh worm, and I guess I just have him now. <laughs> yeah. He is mine, and I will call him George. Basically, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the other marvelous moment also so many streams have is, is the moment where, when the flesh enters your mind. Mm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And people realize what is happening on screen, and they look into the camera and go like, Oh, (laughs) (laughs) all right, then (laughs) things just got even weirder. (laughs) Yeah, it just these these lovely little moments all over. Also, the first human enemy. Oh, sure. (laughs) Yeah, where where, like here's it's it's also always the same. It's it's this, this was actually, I think, across all the streams. Oh, here's a human. Is he friendly? They walk towards him. No, no he's no. not. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. Uh. <laughs> I love it. I, I love hearing stuff like that. It was it was really cool to uh, to play an experience. We're really looking forward to the game. I'm just excited because I mean, this was all just stuff that's in the demo, and I imagine there's going to be quite a few more moments in the full game. Especially, you say you guys are are targeting like a 20 hour campaign experience so i'm very very excited to see what this game finally flesh crack and coagulates into uh <laughs> but yeah just just the moments and just watching seth play through the game and watching other people and their reaction to the game so far i'm very looking forward to seeing what other interesting moments and interesting choices and interesting options that death trash is going to have in store for players again mature game but yes it's definitely one that we recommend checking out. If you're a fan of RPGs or, you know, isometric adventure games or gorgeous pixel art or, you know, like pseudo pseudo horror thriller Lovecraftian style bizarre experiences. If you're a fan of bizarre experiences, you should already have this game downloaded. But uh, yes, we do have one question that we absolutely love to ask every independent developer that we talk to here on the show. Yeah, so the question is, and this is a pure hypothetical, we we did have a situation where they were like, uh, we actually can't answer that. But uh, (laughs) purely hypothetically, if given the chance to develop a game based on any of Nintendo's IP, for you personally, Christian, which would you choose and kind of what would your approach be? Ooh. (laughs) That's a good question. Um, Oh, God. Uh, There's so many things going through my mind right now first instinct <laughs> is make another banjo and kazooie game oh because, dude beca- 
Because that was my childhood. Yes. <laughs> you and you Seth just, you just became be- best friends. I was just going to say, you just became my best friend. That is one of my favorite <laughs> games of all time. Yeah. Like, my goodness. Uh, I, I, yeah. Uh, we had the Nintendo 64 at home. Or we didn't have it at home. We had it sometimes. We had to let, borrow it. And uh, th- that was the game I played as a child. That mm-hmm. was, yeah. Just more collect-a-thon plat- 3D platformer. Like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change anything about the formula of the game. Wouldn't do it differently. Just another Banjo-Kazooie. <laughs> <laughs> well, are you happy, Seth? You found a way to talk about Banjo-Kazooie this episode. Hey, I'm, I'm thrilled. I'm absolutely <laughs> thrilled. Thank you, Christian, for that opportunity. Uh, yeah, no, I, I'm with you, man. I would love to see more 3D platformers, um, certainly. We, we would love to see more of that. We're always championing that. So really cool to see, uh, to have a guest actually unprompted share some banjo kazooie <laughs> love with me so <laughs> yeah gladly <laughs> christian so uh where can folks kind of follow you and the game online if they want to keep up with you and keep up with death trash so uh the two big places to be is one the our twitter account at at death trash on twitter mm-hmm. and the other is our discord ah. where people can join and we, we, the devs, are reading everything, answering some questions, having fun. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. Love it. Well, you guys will find links of that. Everything Death Trash, the links to the Discord, Twitter, and all of that, of course, in the episode description. But um, yeah, let's let's you know look forward to the game, of course, next year coming to the Nintendo Switch. You can play the demo now on Steam. Uh, you can check out my video of my gameplay over on the YouTube channel. And uh, yeah, let's roll out the red carpet one last time for Mr. Christian Hoyser. Yay! Hey, thank you. <laughs> Thanks so much. Thank you so much. And good luck on the rest of the development of the game. We cannot wait to get our hands on it. Yeah, we're hoping for the best. We're working on it. <laughs> that was really cool getting to talk with Christian, our very first independent developer from Berlin that we got yeah. to speak to in our indie showcase. Very much looking forward to Death Trash coming out next year. We've still got a little while to wait on it, but the game looks really, really intriguing. And Seth and I are always up for a really unique video gaming experience. But it's been a pretty crazy past month for us with E3 and then all the craziness that followed E3 and then all of our dimension hopping shenanigans this past week. We haven't even talked about the fact that tomorrow is Independence Day. Tomorrow is July 4th. You're right. Uh, My goodness. Ha- happy 4th of July, everybody. Make sure to stay safe this weekend. But yes. you know what? Next week, Seth, I think you and I just need a nice little relaxing summer vacation out on the greens. Yeah, absolutely. And definitely make sure you guys come back and hang out with us next week where we are going to be talking about Mario Golf Super Rush and, of course, much more. Yeah, so until then, guys, thank you so much for hanging out with us. Do make sure to reach out to us on Facebook at All In Podcast, on Twitter at All In Podcast. And if you haven't joined our All In Discord server, why not? And after you've done that, do please give a like, a follow, and a subscribe to All In and Nintendo Podcast on whatever podcasting service you happen to be listening to us on, whether it be Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. And after that, check out all the amazing content we have on the official All In YouTube channel. We have a ton of stuff going on all the time. New episodes of Keep Nintendo Weird, new episodes of Gamer Glossary. And I don't know, we just stay, stay busy. So this 
I think I think eighteen holes would be uh, would be great for both of us. What do you say, buddy? Yeah, I completely agree. So that that is definitely on the agenda for next week, hitting the links. But until then, guys, I have been Sarasaland Seth, and I have been the Eric Nodon. We will catch you guys next week. We love you very much. Bye. Yeah.